Welcome to Dragon Talk. Yes, 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 Dragon Talk, Dragon Talk. This is the official Dungeons Dragons podcast brought to you here by Greg Tito. Hi, how are you? Hey, Greg Tito. And I'm Shelly Mazzanopo. Hi, Shelly Mazzanopo. You? you were gonna. I stepped. I stepped on your line. It's perfectly acceptable. You can. You can step on my face whenever you want. <laughs> well, I wouldn't do that. Well, well, sometimes, some days, uh, I need to be stepped on the face. I feel like like that's a metaphor for just like twenty twenty being at home <laughs> with your kids, trying to do math assessments. Yes, exactly. Uh, yeah. Dealing with accidents happening all over the house. Yes, there's like some some things happening with the planets because uh, our cat and our dog have been having accidents Ooh. everywhere all day and all night. They just love you, and this is how they express it. They are definitely expressing their, <laughs> and it's been smelling very good. I mean, next time send me flowers. Right. I do not need. Yeah, anyway, I don't, I mean, I know people tune into Dragon Talk to get their daily dose of, or weekly dose of potty talk. <laughs> this but is how we get the potty award winning podcast. This is why we are a potty award winning show. Well, it's relevant to Dungeons and Dragons, you know, because yeah. most of those places smell pretty bad, right? Most of the dungeons yes. that you would explore as an adventurer. Yes, and you have to watch where you're stepping. Yeah. It is like on Tuesday, but the overnight, the middle of the night between Tuesday and Wednesday, it was it was like a dungeon crawl, um, except I was the only somebody split the party because it was just me going through the house at night at like four in the morning on difficult terrain. And I had to use my dark vision because I needed to like squint and be like, I don't know, is that somebody's shoe on the floor or is that a pile of doggy poop? <laughs> <laughs> or is it a black ooze? Yeah, and we ha- I have these Halloween decorations all over the place. These little oh, bats. Oh, that makes it even harder. And the bats keep unsticking and then like, <laughs> vroom, like landing on the floor. And I'm like, I don't know if that's a bat on the floor. Oh, uh, no. But I'm going to go get the paper towels just in case. Smell it was a long night. Bad. A long night. Oosh, man. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you had to use your yeah. prestidigitation spell in order to clean oh. up everything afterwards. I wish... That is definitely would be such a handy, handy spell. Like before this uh, podcast recording, I dribbled toothpaste on my shirt. And uh, it would have been nice just to take care of that instead of having to change, which I didn't, by the way. (laughs) I just like, (laughs) "Mm, I'm whatever. It's It's just a little. Put a sweater over it. You're fine. It's just a little. (laughs) Why were you brushing your teeth in the middle of the day? Because I ate some smelly lunch oh. that left a taste in my mouth I didn't enjoy. That'll do it. That'll do it. And I want to enjoy every moment of recording Dragon Talk. <laughs> and now you will because of your clean, fresh breath. Minty. And I, my shirt is nice and minty. <laughs> oh, man. We are full on uh, hobos uh, here in 2020. Um, but yeah. I'm excited about this episode because we get to speak to Ryan Cassidy Podcaster, designer, writer, longtime uh, uh, dungeon master, and uh, we will talk about his play podcast, Taverns and Caverns. Super fun uh, to explore yeah. all of that uh, in our interview coming up soon. 
Yeah, and he's a uh, has a board game too that he designed. So I'm excited to learn about how that was uh, created and crafted and all sorts of good stuff. It's gonna be fun. I can't wait. We'll ask them questions about their board game, and they will say, "Yes, we created yes. this board game. It has been made." <laughs> It sounds amazing. <laughs> uh, we also have some fun D and D stuff uh, on the horizon. This, you know, time period we've got Tasha's Cauldron of Everything. Oh my! Pop it off, boiling like crazy. Um, I know we can't spoil things, yeah. but uh, remember how we had a meeting yesterday yeah. with Jeremy and Kate and didn't it get you even more excited yeah, really and too did. bad we can't tell anybody the things that they were talking about but I was like <gasps> dude once so much good stuff once D&D fans realize that <laughs> is in the book they are going mm-hmm. to really enjoy <laughs> 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 it's amazing and then Jeremy just started popping off all this cool lore about Tasha yes. and and then we were like stop up save it save it for a dragon That's talk right. so he will be he will be here on dragon talk I think my favorite talk about my that, favorite but. planned bit is to ask him to read some of the bits uh from Tasha that are in the book uh you know kind of in the marginalia that we've done with uh, Xanathar's and and Warden Canons um in in character as Tasha I can't wait she's sassy she is a sass Matias she really, really is. Um, but yes, you're right. There is so much good stuff in there. I don't know that uh, players and dungeon masters understand yeah. how much stuff is really. We've been saying that there's a lot of stuff, but once we uh, start previewing exactly what's to come, uh, it's even more jam-packed than Xanathar's yeah. Guide to Everything. There's just a lot more material in there. Uh, in that page yeah. count, right, that they just had to cram in. And it was cool seeing Kate Irwin uh, talk through it, you know, because she does all the interior uh, illustrations, yeah. uh, art direction, as well as uh, Trish Yoakum, who does all the layout. So, you know, that will be really great uh, for you to see it in person when it is mm-hmm. created on November 17th. Uh, you will be able to get Tasha's Cauldron of Everything from your local game store if you want to get the alternate cover uh, or the uh, standard cover from any of your online retailers, including uh, you know Amazon and whatnot. But we would really, really wish you to uh, support your local game store as much as you can and order Tasha's through them. Yes, that would be lovely. It's an ask, you know, if you can. I mean, yeah. Yes. There's also, of course, uh, I was going to say Edward, but we used the code name uh, Edward. <laughs> Edward is coming to dinner. Curse of Strahd Revamped is available probably now when you listen to this. Uh, it is a $100 collector's edition of the Curse of Strahd Adventure, originally uh, uh, published in 2016, and with lots of fun goodies in it. Oh my god! We've talked about the them uh, ad nauseum, but they are very cool and fun to dig into. And I would suggest if you are going to be running uh, Curse of Strahd that you look into the line of miniatures or the two box sets of miniatures that WizKids, our friends at WizKids, have produced um, that have uh, some of the major NPCs in pre-painted miniature form. 
that <gasps> you can uh, you know use even if you're not using a game that is using miniatures. I think they're still very cool to show off you know on your camera or uh, in any way to immerse your characters, in, immerse your players in what they see in front of them. Yes, I I think so. And and Curse of Strahd revamped has lots of things like that that you can use to immerse your players. That's right. In a, a very scary setting. And I also would recommend that you check out a recent Dragon Talk that we did with Chris Perkins when we talked about Curse of Strahd. That's probably out now. Time travel. That was me in the future. Yep, yep, it's here. Yep. I'm coming back now. I'm back. <laughs> you just cast, very popular episode. cast like the time warp. Yes, let's do the time warp. Speaking of which, someone did okay. a mashup image of the cover <laughs> of Curse of Strahd with uh, Frankenfurter, Dr. Frankenfurter from yeah. uh, Rocky, Horror. Rocky Horror. Yes, picture show. I was so good. It's amazing. And I mean, I think yes. it is an inspiration for any of you out there who want to have more of a high camp version of Curse of Strahd, definitely, you know, have Dr. Frankenfurter show up and make it a musical. It works. It works. Definitely. Yeah, I would love to see Curse of Strahd, the musical. Me too. Let's do the mist warp again. <laughs> <laughs> There's two hags I to the think left. it could work. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, this needs to happen. I know, right? All the bards that are listening, please... Yes. Make a parody. We will we will yes. retweet that out to the world with me drinking a, a, a cranberry juice and longboarding down the road. Yes. <laughs> that one was a little too I, I guess I'm I'm not as good of a theater major. No, that one's a TikTok uh reference. Oh. So all of those Gen Zers out there know what I'm talking about. Oh hey. Oh hey. Oh, oh, wait, my dad's texting me. Sorry, got to go. <laughs> Let me just turn that off. So what is he? Yeah, that. he's going to be talking about your Bachelorette episodes that are <laughs> he coming out. He, do, he does not watch The Bachelorette. Oh, good. He was excited about a video I sent him of Queen. <laughs> very, very much the same thing. He's The Bachelor. Yeah. And uh, Quinn mm. is going to be uh, getting a rose, I think. Oh, I think He's definitely getting the first impression. Oh, that's a thing. What does that do? Does that give you like an uh, inspiration or uh, a mechanical advantage in the game? It's basically inspiration. Yeah. Yeah. You get the first impression rows and that like that's based on like you getting out of the limos or like the little quick five minute chat that you have with the bachelor or bachelorette on the first day. And it's like saying like out of all these jackasses you're the one who stood out the most to me <laughs> you're the least Boom, objectionable inspiration yeah. <laughs> yeah you are the least offensive person here. at least no one was wearing like a, a mascot costume this time right oh uh, there was definitely some costume oh, no, really? yeah, I said that <laughs> totally ignorant that there were definitely costumes there was a knight what? in armor oh, and then he God. stood before her and he he said i am Laying down my armor for you. <laughs> oh. We need you need to have like a gong show element that you could she could just be like bye no yeah bye bye. What's the opposite of the no. first impression rose? <laughs> just not getting Can you get rose, the, the thorn. Yeah, the first impression thorn. <laughs> that would have, yes. Craig, you're good at that. <laughs> yeah, I could be creating a terrible game show too. It's not a game show. Well, what is it it's then? If it's it's so it's, it's so mechanicy. <laughs> 
No, it's definitely a game show. Right. There are contestants. There is a winner. Yeah. And there are losers. There is, I mean, let's be honest, most of the people on the show are losers. I, I can go that far. <laughs> I have a new obsession now. What's that? Selling Sunset. Oh, God, Aaron watched that too. Oh, it is. I, the best way to describe it is how I heard someone on a podcast describe it. Nothing happens. Literally nothing happens. And yet you find yourself so compelled by this content. That show, probably more than any other reality TV show, and I apologize, we always have, this is like an annual thing whenever there's a Bachelorette episode. We, we verge into talking about uh, reality television shows. We'll get back to D&D, I promise. But the thing about Selling Sunset that's terrible is that it's very clearly staged like there is nothing oh, yeah. real about it they are 100 they are they literally are like here go go have a really natural conversation where you're talking about uh the grooming activities of the hot women in the office like just talk about yeah. that like you wouldn't naturally okay. in an office right. uh, i'm like no and one it, talks and like it that. doesn't bother it's very much me, but like, you're also wearing gorgeous clothes and you're in a beautiful house and with beautiful scenery. That wedding, that uh, I will say. Uh, the, the goth The wedding? goth wedding with the black dress and the snow coming down. Yeah. Uh, if it was just a, a show about producing and making that wedding happen, I'd be all for it. Yeah. I know. That was, there was a lot of elements there. The swans. The swans. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. We're probably totally going to cut out this part of it. But I will say... Uh, the first thing How that Aaron said was that like they they edited this so badly, like all the women, the, the 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 snow coming down would have ruined their hair, would have messed up their makeup. They clearly had time to do like touch ups, and then all the snow was gone, and they went back to doing like you know her, well, her it was walking. Probably out. like that foamy stuff that like no, it wasn't. Was, it like, was fake snow? You think it was fake snow? Yeah. Oh, see, I thought it was. I thought it was. I think it was Real like melty the stuff snow. that they, they drop at like Pacific Place at Christmas. It's like That's even worse. So, it's almost like sudsiness. Yeah. And there was a lot. There was a lot of it. It was not great. Anyway, that would have been a good prop if you were running Rhyme of the Frost Maiden. <laughs> That's true. Hello. Brought it all the way back <laughs> oh, to Oh, man. Me. If only you all could have seen our plans for the real life uh, you know, in-person D&D Live that we were planning for Rhyme of the Frost Maiden Aww. that had all those elements involved. Uh, it would have been fantastic. Damn. Yeah. All right. Well, well uh, let us now turn to some fun things that we shall learn in this next segment before we get to our amazing interview with Ryan Cassidy. <laughs> Everyone, thank you for being here. Welcome to another segment of How to Be a DM. I have a wonderful guest today, uh, kind of a jack of all trades, everything from biology professor to uh, a, a kind of a, an expert dungeon master. You may know him as co-host of the Edition Wars podcast and also dungeon master for D&D Brief. Very, very clever name there, which I love. A live stream uh, D&D game. That features post-game commentary and analysis, which I think may also be a great way for DMs to glean some new tips as well. Everybody, please welcome Samuel Dillon. Yay! Hello. <laughs> My goodness, you really do have uh, quite the uh, uh, background. I've been playing for a really long time. 
And when, I'm, I'm, I'm one of those people who I feel like I'm always learning. So uh, it never gets stale, right? It's always got to learn, learn, learn. Judging from the amount of books behind you right now, that uh, seems <laughs> apropos. Yes. When did you start playing D&D? Um, 1982. Oh, okay. Yeah. So Early my, adapter. Yeah. My brother, uh, he's three years older than me, and he got one of the, uh, the, the, uh, one of the basic boxes for Christmas one year and uh, quickly handed that off to me as he got the big AD&D first edition books and said, here, you can have the basic. And oh, uh, the, yeah. first, the first D&D product I think I ever bought with my own money was Frank Mincer's Redbox D&D. So, nice. Yeah. yeah. That must have been a big moment for you. Oh, I'm telling you, like just so many memories and, and yeah, just, I mean, a lifetime of fun, right? Oh, I mean, that's just great. amazing, yeah. So did you and your brother play together or was oh, your yeah. brother like off doing advanced things and you were Yeah, no, 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 no. We, we, we played together. We had a big map of the world of Greyhawk on our wall in the room. And yeah, it was, we used to play all the time. It was great. Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah. So I have family memories and then I have friend memories and then, you know, it's just, yeah, it's the thing. It's one of the glues of my life, so to speak. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. It is, it is uh, definitely good for that, for the the memories and forming those yeah. bonds. And yeah, that's exactly. really cool. That's cool. Yeah. So uh, your name came to me about as someone who has uh, a lot of experience in how to weave character backstories into adventures. Yes. Um, so I, the, the first time I played D and D I had a dungeon master that didn't even ask about our backstories. Okay. Um, I of course, came up with one because that was my favorite part of creating a character. I just was like, right. I'm offering this up and I'm just going to be throwing it into the game whenever. Mm-hmm. Um, but then the second time I played, we, the dungeon master did ask for backstories as well as um, a connection, like how we, we had to choose one other player and write a little bit about how we knew that player. Mm-hmm. Like, okay. Well, that's really interesting. Like, yeah. and, but I immediately became immersed in this campaign because I had connections to like people were writing stories about how they knew my character. And, and it was, I thought it was like, wow, what a cool way to like bring us all together in this. Mm-hmm. So no doubt backstories, I, th- I think are important to a game. Absolutely. Right. Sure. Yeah. Um, but as a dungeon master, like I feel like mm-hmm. you have so many other things you have to keep <laughs> track of. And now you want me to weave right. these into a, the story that I'm telling. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't even know where to begin. That is, I will leave it to you. Okay. Well, I, <laughs> luckily for you, I have a page of notes here. Yay! <laughs> that I wrote down. All right. Um, it's really funny you say that because uh, one of I I have sort of a, a kind of things that you can do to make this work, and then I have you know sort of three things to watch out for. Okay. That, that could that could make it not work. Um, the first thing is. Um, it's, it's sort of, I, I lettered things A, B, C, D, and, and then I thought of one and I put it A number one. <laughs> <laughs> I like um, it. Okay. And I think A number one is from the DM perspective, donate time to work in the backstories thoughtfully, right? Um, yeah. Don't pretend you're going to do it. Don't ask for backstories from your players and then really not do anything with them. 
Yes. Um, if you're going to do that, it's it, then that's fair. I, I know people, you know, lives are busy and sometimes, you know, it's so much just to, to read the adventure or to make an adventure that it's hard to work that in. And if, if you can't do that, that's fine. Um, there's no sort of bad, wrong fun about this, right? It's, it's more about if you want to do this, you need to be doing it thoughtfully. And the very first thing, then having said that, the very first thing you should do is uh, use the things that are already available to you. So talk to your players, get a backstory from your players, but don't just say, hey, players, send me a back backstory, right? Send me a background, send me a backstory, tell me about your character. Give them parameters. If you want two paragraphs, tell them two paragraphs and not three page long paragraphs, right? right. Two paragraphs on one page. And I want to know your parents' names and the rival from the town that you grew up in. Or I want to know why you're in the current town. Or I want to know what your main motivation is. Or all three of those, right? Um, and that's, that's the sort of first step is make sure you're going to do it thoughtfully. And then that means you need the input from the players because it's their character and they're going to be the one playing it in the campaign, regardless of what the entire plot of your whole story is and what you've decided or what, what adventure book you picked up and, and what, whoever wrote that, uh, the players are really the story, right? The players are the story. So they need to feel like their backstory fits in there somewhere. Otherwise, why would they be in this story? Mm -hmm. So when you ask them as a DM for their story, give them some parameters, make it short, two or three sentences, two or three paragraphs, and ask them for some specifics where where are they from? You know, what was their childhood like? But just in a very generic term, you know, happy, sad, lonely, exciting, right? Did they know their parents? You know, I know there's this uh, lone wolf, you know, there's there's the lone wolf trope. Everybody wants to be, I can't have anybody that I care about because in the DM you did use it against me. You know, that's not that's not the way to go necessarily. Although if that's your character concept, that's your character concept. But you have to give something for the DM to be able to work with. And so to, to grease those wheels, so to speak, when the DM does that, when the DM asks for the backstory, give some parameters, tell them what you want, and then talk to them about it, right? Don't just say, okay, that's it. Okay, that's fine. Actually look at their backstory, okay? So that's that's the sort of first thing. Be, be intentional about it, right. be thoughtful about it, and then ask the players for something. And do that... Um, so, you know, there's a, a, a session zero kind of concept out there where you meet with your players before the first actual session of the game and either everybody talks about their characters or they make their characters right there or you talk about the themes of the game, you talk about the main storylines that, that are going to be a part of the game. Um, you know, I'm, I'm running Rhyme of the Frostmaiden, so I met with my group a couple weeks ago and I told them the basic themes of the story without giving away any major spoilers and I said, so when you create your character, you need to be doing two things. Number one, figuring out, um, making sure that your character is built to be able to withstand the types of challenges that I'm talking about and the sort of horror aspects of it. But also, why is your character even there? Why is your character in that region? It doesn't necessarily have to be up to the DM to make that happen. It can be up to the players or it can be a conversation amongst everyone about how all of those things came together. And if you have a session zero and you have that type of 
interaction between the players and between the DM and the players, then those things sometimes, not always, those things sometimes sort of organically grow out. Ooh, I can, I, my character can know your character because maybe we're from the same town and we're, or we're traveling on the same ship up to the northern reaches or, or whatever. Um, or maybe they just completely come to the session and they've already made their characters and they already think they know what they want to do. But still having that session zero gives them the opportunity to um, introduce their backstory to the, to the DM and also to the other players. And then maybe you can kind of massage that and work through it and try to get them connected in a way. Because as you mentioned earlier, that game that you had where your backstory was kind of intertwined with another one, you were already invested in that yes. before the game even really started. And that's kind of what we want, right? That's the whole reason for making the backstory something that's important. And so... So there, so there's that, but you know, it's, it's, there's a lot of preferences here, right? There's a lot of, well, I don't DM that way, or I DM this way over here, or well, my players don't like having a session zero, or they do this, or they, you know, and so you kind of have to navigate those waters in a way that makes sense for your table. And when you do that, though, there's still, no matter what needs to be conversation between the DM and the players. And when, when the DM is having conversation with the player, it's okay to give them parameters and to say, here's what I need from you. And it can be very vague or it can be very detailed, but it needs to be this much information and it needs to have these specific things. And as long as the DM is really going to take some of that and use it, then it'll work out. It'll work out even if it's all new to some players or they're not used to doing it that way or you've never done it that way before, it will work out because they'll start to see how you've sprinkled in parts of their background into the game, regardless of whether you're playing a homebrew or a pre-written adventure. So that's, that's one thing. So, I mean, I, you know, there are lots of um, elements to this. And so I kind of have my top three that I ask for. I, I ask for the player's motivation or the PC's motivation the player's motivation is to have fun, right? Uh, right. <laughs> I ask for the PC's motivation. I ask for their rivals and allies, at least one of each. And I ask for um, either something about their family or something about the location they're from, depending on the campaign. And usually if you give them that prompt of like three things that you want to know, they'll write a little bit more than that and they'll get enough juice in there that you can you can make it so that it, it works with the with the game. Um, and so it's really important to talk to your players. <laughs> it's really my, that's probably yes. should be my number one. Talk to your players. That's, that's the main thing. Um, then when I have my session zero, I, I kind of, I, I trick my players because the other thing I do is as they're talking about their characters and they're creating their characters and we've talked about themes, we've talked about everything. I then give them a couple of difficult questions. I'll pick a player and I'll say, you know, Jonas, what is your character's biggest fear? And I'll give them time to think about that. Mm -hmm. That's putting people on the spot. And then I move on and I'll say, you know, Sarah, who does your character out of these five people that are sitting here at the table, who does your character trust the most? And oh, why? interesting. Right? You, you ask them that like in front of the other players? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. And depending on the, the team, you know, depending on the group, some of them will pipe in and say, ooh, well, what if you trust me because I did this for you? Or I, maybe, maybe I've known you all my life. Maybe I'll change my backstory a little bit and we'll say we've known each other. We're from the same town or, oh, we went to the same temple or, you know, something like that. And that, those types of questions that 
are a little bit surprised. See, if you tell them beforehand, they're just going to come up with the answers as part of their backstory. Yeah. And then they're, and then they're going to show up and they're going to have it all solid in their mind. And it, it's going to be less flexible in terms of how things work at the table during a session zero. And so ask questions about fear, about trust, about motivations, about who they know, about why they're in a location. Any or all of those will get people starting to talk to each other about it. Um, sometimes it's like pulling teeth, right? If, if the players aren't used to it, if the DM is trying to do this for the first time and the players aren't into it, prompt them. Say, well, I notice in your, in your backstory, you said this thing over here. You said that uh, you're, you're not close to your father. He used to go off on business trips because he, he was a merchant and he used to go with the caravan. And so you didn't know him very well. Um, how did that affect your mother and your brother? right? Are you protective of your family because of that? Are you resentful of your father because of that? Like, start talking about those relationships, and they'll start thinking about, okay, well, if this might be, if this was a real person, they might have thought this, or maybe they didn't care. Maybe it made them resentful, and they didn't care, and that's why they're out adventuring, and that's a good piece of information to know, especially because then... They'll, they might push back on that. Oh, well, I didn't, my father wasn't a caravan person, you know, car- caravaneer. He wasn't a merchant or maybe he was just a guard. So he wasn't some, you know, high up person who had a lot of money. Maybe he was just some lowly guard. Oh, so then you mean you don't, you, you think that his job wasn't worthy of him being gone so much. So that's what you resent. You know, it's that sort of thing where, <sighs> There's a kind of a thin line, right? There's, there's a fine line because you don't want to be offensive to somebody, right? And you also don't want to get too close to something that might be in their real life, right? <laughs> um, right, that's, yes. Right, it sounds weird, but, you know, we're supposed to be having fun. So you don't yeah. want to get too heavy on the, on the psychological components here. But it kind of depends on the story. You know, as I mentioned, Rhyme and the Frost Maiden earlier, it's a horror story. Yeah. It really is about a horrific environment and some horrific things that some people are being forced to do because of their, because of the environmental disaster that's happening to them and around them. And so that's going to have horror elements. So, so maybe I should retract this and go back to the beginning and say, you know, make sure that the players that you're dealing with are going to be into this as well that they you know that's the first question in session zero is are you ready for this theme and is that okay with you and if it's not then that becomes a whole different conversation but let's assume they are there's there's horror elements and you need to make sure that you can pick up those horror elements or maybe it's a fantastical adventure maybe it's a, a town adventure like you know dragon heist water deep dragon heist well now it's going to make a difference if the if the character has a backstory where they're not from Waterdeep at all, when they get there, they're not going to know anybody, right? Or maybe they're a noble in Waterdeep. They're from a noble family. Well, that's a completely different, 100% separate situation. How do you get those people together? And the answer is you have to talk to both people and ask them how they know each other. Ask them, how does your character know this other person? Why is your character's not from Waterdeep? They're showing up in Waterdeep. How are they going to know this noble person? we got to figure that out and the DM can help figure that out and the players can help figure that out. And, and then once you know that, then you can work both of their stories into the actual game. Okay. So, so my, my, I'm, I'm sort of, my next tip is sort of a little bit related to that. Okay. Because I mentioned nobles. And the thing is that the game already comes with tools for the DM to use built in. 
right? The game comes with a setup where, as part of character creation, players choose a background, a te- technically the background in the player's handbook for their character or, you know, a, an extra one based on whatever adventure they're playing. And those backgrounds come with a feature, right? It's not just the mechanical, oh, well, because of this background, you know how to use thieves tools. It's also, here's a feature. You have a criminal contact or you have the ability to go to a temple that you that is the deity that you were an acolyte for and you will always be given healing from that temple because of your acolyte background or you're an uh, a, a hermit and your you know your hermit background you experienced something while you were a hermit the, and the feature says that now you're looking for the reason for whatever that experience was and so when you're talking to your players figure out what their background is and why did they choose that background, right? And that background also comes with ideals, bonds, and flaws and a little, you know, a a rolly table for personality. And all of that is already built into the game. And I know that some people use it to a greater extent than others. um, And and that's okay. But if it's part of the character creation process and the character, the, the player is choosing a background for their character, the DM should be paying attention to that. So when the person says, oh, I'm, I'm the charlatan background, or I'm a criminal background, or I'm a noble background, well, okay, you're a noble background. What does that mean for the campaign, right? Because it depends on where your campaign is, what that means. If you're in a homebrew world, and it's really heavily based on kingdoms, and baronies, and duchies, and there's really distinct political borders, and there's a lot of machinations that are happening regarding the royal families and their quest for power and more land, it's going to make a difference if your character has a noble background, right? Is their family very active or are they running away from their family because they found out their family is corrupt? Or are they being hidden because they are the true heir and, you know, the family doesn't want them to be known about because then they might be uh, you know, a target of assassination attempts or something, right? There's there's a lot of different things in there to play with, all because the player chose the noble background for their character. And so all of those, those true, I call them mechanical bits, right? Because they're actually in the player's handbook and they're something that is part of character creation. Those mechanical bits lead to story. And so there's a mindset there that has to be in, in play where the DM needs to be thinking about, okay, these, yes, these are mechanical bits. Okay, this is a fighter, this is a warlock, this is whatever class and race combination. And then also there's this background. Okay, well, this background, the player usually chooses it to fit within their, their two-paragraph backstory, right? But now let's make all of that work within the confines of the actual campaign we're playing. And for that, that's where the DM's work comes in, right? Mm-hmm. Where you need to know the basic plot line of your story. Even if you're a very heavy improvisational DM and you have kind of an outline and then you let the players drive the story, or if you're running a, a published book where there are specific NPCs, there are specific events that have to occur, there are things for the players to react to. Either one of those, you still need to have an idea of how you can fit the players in there, their PCs in there, right? So 
once again, I, I step back to session zero. If you're running a seafaring campaign, if you're running Salt Marsh, Ghosts of Salt Marsh, and you know that your players are going to find a boat and they're going to be out on the sea, um, or if they're going to start on the sea coming into dock at Salt Marsh, then when you ask them for their background, you ask them, well, how, how do you know anything about boats? What is your boating background mm-hmm. that puts your, your PC on that ship? And that becomes part of their background, whether they had originally written it in there or not. And so for, for Rhyme of the Frostmaiden, it's why are you going up to the frozen north? There has to be some reason. You're either from there or you're going there. And it's a devastated area. So there has to be a reason for you to be going there. And if you don't know as a player, that's when the DM player conversation has to occur. And that's going to let the DM add that in. And it's okay to give that constraint when you request the background. Okay, I want two two paragraphs of background. And in the background, you have to tell me why you're going or why you're in Icewind Dale. And if the player doesn't know, they can ask. Yeah. Okay. But so then you get a lot of information from player. Well, I mean, so, you're getting like a page of information basically from each player. Sort of, right? So I know it sounds like I'm asking for a lot, but... No, I think that's, that's yeah. a totally fair amount. When If I've got five players and they each have like two paragraphs of backstory and then I have a list of, you know, two rivals and two allies for each of them and location mm-hmm. and all that, it ends up being more like a bulleted list Yeah, that I can... I can circle things and make a chart. This one's connected to this one, this person. You know, another another good one is organizations. If they're related to an organization that exists in the setting uh, or in the adventure, now you can, if, if you don't know how to connect some PCs, you can make maybe make their backstory have some organizations in them, you know, some factions, and then you can connect that. And so that's why you need that information. So it's a lot of information. Uh, yeah, I guess it is. I guess it is a lot of information. So um, is this like, does this, you run your own, like, are you do homebrew campaigns or do, I, well, I you do said both. you're actually yeah. running a published one yeah. now. Okay. Yeah. So I'm, is run, it, I'm running published one now, but my D and D brief is completely homebrew my own setting. So, so does their backgrounds, does it ever inform the story that you are about to tell or is Absolutely. it like, okay. So things mm-hmm. can change from your perspective too, based on Absolutely. what, okay. Absolutely. And, you know, and, and actually that's funny that you asked that because that's true of my homebrew setting. Um, but also it's true of my Rhyme of the Frostmaiden game, because when I did my session zero for Rhyme of the Frostmaiden, you know, uh, one of the things that Wizards of the Coast did the past couple of adventures is they put secrets into the adventure mm-hmm. that players can draw or that you can, as the DM, you can hand them out or whatnot. And what I did was I went through and I looked at the play, the, the players had told me, oh, I'm going to play this type of character. And I think my background is going to be this. And I said, okay. So I went through the secrets and I picked two for each person. And I, I fiddled with them. Now, I didn't just give them the secret as raw material here. I actually decided to, to change them a little bit and say, well, for this player, this secret would have this kind of impact. And I, and I changed the way I worded it. I didn't just hand it out as written in the book. And so then I let them pick which one they wanted out of the two or three. And because I changed it, I made sure that whatever I changed, I could actually connect that to different pieces of the adventure later on. So uh, for example, I did not offer anyone 
the uh, Drizzt Dorden fan background. Oh, that's, <laughs> I know, unfortunately, but it, that's not part of my campaign, right? Yeah. So to offer that to someone doesn't really have a lot of gravitas in the, in the game because it's not really going to have any effect. Mm-hmm. But I want their secret to have gravitas. And so I had to change them to fit the character. And then that also makes the character care more about what's happening in the area because they have a secret about their life that has either pushed them to that area or that is related to that area. Um, so my so my advice there is if you're a DM and you have this whole plot laid out for your homebrew world, or you have an adventure that you're reading and you're gonna you're gonna make this adventure, read ahead a little bit, right? Or plan ahead a little bit mm-hmm. and know who your NPCs are. And feel free to absolutely change one of those NPCs so that they have something to do. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So there's two NPCs in Rhyme of the Frost Maiden, which are directly, they have a direct relation to the backstory to two of the, of my PCs right now. That's, I, I, I just did. I mean, it's not even in the book, but because I fiddled with the backstories, the mm-hmm. secrets, and I could make that appealing to the player the way that I changed them. I try, right. So the, the job isn't to screw the players, right? The, the job isn't to, oh, I'm going to do something that's really going to make the, it hard for them or to, you know, but the job is to make it interesting and to make them care about the game and, and their character. And so if I can do that with a secret that I've changed or with an NPC that they meet, Right. Or, you know, I, I mentioned a, a caravan thing. I, I once ran a campaign where where that actually happened, where the player said, well, my father was a, a merchant and he used to go with the caravan. So he would be gone for months at a time. And, you know, but but it came out in the game that they had a family crest because they were a merchant family. And so later on, much later on in the campaign, when he had already left his hometown, they find some crates with his family crest, his merchant oh. family crest on it. That wasn't written in the adventure, but yeah, what was what was written was there were some crates there with some materials in this cultist hideout. Well, hey, look, you recognize this crest, and I, and I can say to that player in private, you recognize this crest as your family merchant crest, and or at least the one that you recognize. Maybe it was an early iteration of it, and they don't use that one anymore, or what, That's whatever, really right? Cool. Yeah, and then then I can let that player decide whether they tell the other PCs or mm-hmm. whether, right, whether there's a connection there or not. And if the player really digs it, I'll lean hard into it. If the player's like, eh, it's not really, I'm more focused on this part. Well, that's okay too, right? Like, I, right. okay, so it was, a, it was a little nugget of information. It may be of interest and maybe not, but we can move on from there without disrupting the character's idea of their own, or the player's idea of their own character, right? Yeah. But yes, absolutely, that's- I change NPCs and... Yes, absolutely. Yeah, as soon as you mentioned asking them who their rivals were or who who their allies were, mm-hmm. I was I thought well, mm-hmm. you could potentially make an, one of them an NPC, just sub them out of absolutely, the absolutely interesting. So yeah. what I like about well, I guess okay, one la- last question. Sure. Um, but like, how do you like distribute this information throughout the mm-hmm. campaign? Like, are there are there, is it just like when it feels natural to drop some of these nuggets or do you actually plot them out? So it depends, which I know is a very unsatisfying answer. Um, no, it's okay. But uh, so one of, one of my caveats, my things to watch out for is 
don't accidentally make it so that the whole campaign hangs on one character. Oh yeah, right? we have to do your list of watchouts. Yeah, yeah. So so unfortunately, because some players will really grab onto this sort of thing and they'll really love it, and some will be kind of midline, like, eh, okay, it's interesting, but I'm I really want to play this character and see how they play out versus worrying about my backstory kind of thing. Um so it it, it kind of depends. And the idea is the way that I look at it is if I split my campaign into kind of three basic arcs, okay, no matter what it is, whether I'm doing a published campaign or whether I'm doing something I homebrew, I, I try to envision it as three kind of arcs. And there needs to be a player backstory that is brought up and resolved in each of those arcs. And so, or at least resolved to to a satisfactory amount within the story. So for example, um, uh, w- one of my players right now is, is playing a, um, uh, an enlightened familiar. And so they were, they were uplifted. Right. Um, and so they, their former life was as a familiar and they are now sort of this, um, this, this PC level kind of character. I didn't even know that and- was, possible and I love it it's it's really awesome (laughs) Uh, my players are great and so the thing is that this this um this individual is a tabaxi because they used to be a a cat that's so good and so when they were a cat they lived in a wizard's library right it's in, in like a wizard's tower with a library and with you know all this arcane magic going around and so you know there are some NPCs in Rhyme of the Frostmaiden where it makes a lot of sense if that cat, when it was still in its kitten form, was around when a couple of these NPCs from the Arcane Brotherhood were looking for information and went to that library or to that wizard's tower. So right there, I have made a connection between that character's sort of odd, weird backstory and the NPCs that these people are going to meet. And that's not something where the cat will see, you know, the tabaxi, now it's tabaxi, will see that, that, that arcane brotherhood, you know, wizard and say, oh, I know you. But it is something where I could say, this person looks really familiar to you and you're mm. not sure where you know them. And that's great in a story like Rime of the Frostmaiden because it's about paranoia right. <laughs> and, yeah, and fear yeah, and, and loneliness and, wow, this thing is happening and I don't know if this person is after me or if I recognize them or if I really do even recognize them or, and so you can see these little things, right? And that, that player, I hope they're not listening to this, but. Yeah, we're going to have to tell them to tune out around minute 28. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But, but so that's like one example where I can, I can put something from that person's backstory that that player created that backstory and and we did that in collaboration i i approved that because it's kind of a funky you know backstory thing happening but i approved that and immediately i when i did that i had as a thought to okay well how could this be related to what's happening in in the actual campaign and so knowing a little more of the story than the first chapter for example allows me to think about okay well this npc is going to show up maybe i'll make this npc be related to this person's background and maybe I'll make this this company over here that has a tavern in you know one of the 10 towns I'll make that be related to this person's backstory 
you know, and something as small as that, changing that into, oh, well, that's a person who was from a rival tribe. I have, I have a ragged tribe, tribesman in my party. And so maybe there was a rival tribe and that person also went civilized and now owns a tavern in one of the tin towns. And so rather than use one of the tavern owners in the book, I'll use that person because that's what my players said they had a rival who left the tribe and went, went civilized. So, you know what I mean? So Mm -hmm. it's that sort of thing. So do I plan it? Yes. Is it sometimes not planned? Absolutely. (laughs) It's just, but I, but I try to split things into three pieces and say, okay, in this first arc, I want at least one of the backstory items to, to be related. Right. And because in, for, I keep going back to this because it's the game I'm currently running, but because in Rhyme of the Frostmaiden, there are these secrets you know, the the players know their own secret, but they don't necessarily know all the other players' secrets. Okay. And I gave them that choice. I said during the session zero, I, I gave, had given them all secrets already. And I said to them, you can feel free to tell everyone else your secrets or you can keep that close to the vest. It's completely up to you. I won't spill the beans. Um, it's however you want to do it. Because I know that this particular group they will be honest and do it how they want. And when it's time for that secret to come out, they'll, they'll tell everyone and make it a really dramatic moment because that's the type of players they are. Nice. Um, so, yeah. So, so I know that when I start pulling on those threads of the backstories and I start mentioning things to them, they're going to know that their secret is getting closer to being outed. Uh-oh. And yeah, so it that's gets so really cool. fun. Yeah. Do you have other watch outs on your list? Yeah. So, so the first one, that was the first one. It's the, probably the most important. Watch out for having one that is so great that it makes that PC the focus of the entire campaign. Yes. That's not fair to everyone else. No. And it's not fair also to that player. Yeah. Because even though it might seem fun at first and wow, this DM really enjoyed my backstory and this is really, I'm really interested in this, but you know, is it a lot of pressure? Yes. Is it, you know, like, does it, is it hard to not know what's going on? You know, the D, sometimes as DMs, we forget we already have everything in our head maybe, and the players don't know what's happening really. Yeah. So, so there's that. The second one is, um, the second one is don't make too much work for yourself. Like when you mentioned, also, I like you get that a lot one. of information, right? So the thing is that the reason I keep mentioning and going back to a session zero or, you know what, it doesn't even really have to be a full session. It could be a discord conversation or an email conversation or, or a phone conversation with, a, with one of your players where you actually say to them, okay, let's talk, let's take 10 minutes and talk about your backstory and, and just get an idea of how that works. And in that case, you just let the player tell you what they really want their character to be or how they envision it at least at first and let them do the work. And if they, if they give you enough information and you know enough about kind of the plot line and the story as is, you can then use that information to figure out how to attach them to the backstory. It's a skill though. And DMing is more an art than a science. So, you know, it, it depends on how, how well you do that, but try not to give yourself too much work because it's really easy to fall into that boat and try yeah. to make the whole campaign only about their backstories. And that's also not okay, right? You need to, you need to also have a story that isn't just related to their backstories, right? Yes. Um, and then my last, my last one is um, don't destroy player agency. So, if the player said in their backstory, um, both of my parents were killed in an orc raid on my village and it decimated almost all the village and only 
me and two other families got out. Don't have your character's long lost brother and mom show up later on. Right. Right. Like that is not respectful of the backstory that that person had. And so that, that wouldn't work. Or if they said, you know, um, my parents are farmers. Don't destroy the town that their parents are farmers in, right? Just to destroy it, just to bring, like, if that's the only way you can think to bring that character into the story, do, do something else. Try to think of something else because you don't always want to be, you know, leaning on tragedies to give the PCs a motivation. So rather than do something like that or, or, or try to come up with something like that, talk to the player and, a- and ask them about their backstory. Even, even if it's after the session zero and after you have things kind of set up, ask them, you know, what's your PCs motivation? What is the real motivation? Why is this person doing this? Why are they becoming an adventurer? Because as much as, you know, in a place like the Forgotten Realms, there are adventurers everywhere. But are there really, I mean, there aren't, in in the brain of your players, there aren't adventurers everywhere. There are commoners everywhere, and they're the adventurers in the story. So why is that person leaving their livelihood and their family and whatever to go be an adventurer when it's extremely dangerous, it might not be lucrative at all, they might get embroiled in some kind of cult worship issues. Like there's all these horrible things in the world. They might accidentally get fried by a dragon, right? Like all of these things are known dangerous. Why is this person leaving? Um, Just ask them what their motivation is rather than trying to give them the motivation of revenge. If you want to give them the motivation of revenge, have the villain show up early and rub their nose in a very small mistake they made and say, ha ha, this is, this is why you're too weak to, to uh, defeat me and then have that villain leave. And now they'll hate that villain and they'll be able to have the motivation of revenge against that villain. But it doesn't, it's not about completely twisting and taking away that, that PC's backstory, right? So keep the player agency intact, even if you're going to fiddle with the backstory or even if you're going to, change you know their their rival right their rival suddenly is much more successful or much less successful than than what they said in the background well there might be a reason for that and they can suss that out but don't just completely obliterate their hometown or you know completely you know change everything in their background just because you're trying to make it dramatic because that's not going to work. plenty of other ways to do that right Exactly. So those are my three watch out fors. Those are my three kind of gotchas that you don't want to throw your your party into. This is excellent advice. And what I really like about it is that it feels scalable so mm-hmm. that if you are new, you can, you know, ask for two things from right. like, you or just one thing and, you know, like and then practice working um, backstory in mm-hmm. uh, at your own pace. I like that. Right. And I also right. really like that. Uh, if you're a new dungeon master and maybe you, if you're running a homebrew and you maybe are a little worried about some mm-hmm. story mm-hmm. elements, like this could potentially spawn some ideas, like, right. you know, for you to to think about in your story. Mm-hmm. So I think overall, it's really good advice. Yeah. Well, good. Baby steps. That's the key, right? Baby like steps. If, if, yes. if you've never done this before and, and you're a, a newer DM or you're an experienced DM, but you really only run published items or you only run... Um, homebrew things, but you know, you you you're thinking that you work the characters in because you 
you tell them about the themes of the story and then you let them make their characters, baby step it. Just, mm-hmm. just baby step the idea of, hey, if they have a rival or an organization or a, a family or some kind of background that, that can be pulled on, tiny, tiny baby step, tiny yeah. baby step. And also let them add things too. not to interrupt you. Sorry. No, I was just saying, I really like this. Yeah. So let them add things. You know, if, if, um, if the, if the player says, well, you know, my brother, my older brother was taken off and he went to the wizarding school, you know, or the, he, he went off and went to go become a druid, you know, well, that's really awesome. What happened to that brother? Yeah. Um, And ask the player, what happened to your brother? What was the last time you saw him? What's the thing? And there's another caveat in there, and that is don't let the brother come back and be the savior, right? He's not a, a, a what, do, what do they call it, a deus ex machina, right? He's not the hand of God coming in to rescue them, okay? But he could be a great resource if they have something they need to find out about the forest or the animals in the forest suddenly changed or something changed about the weather, but it didn't affect the forest. Well, you have a druid in this PC's background that you didn't really do anything about yet, but Hey, through some weird permutation of the campaign, now they need this information. It's okay to say to that player, Hey, wasn't your brother a Druid? Like, didn't you said he went off and was a Druid? Yeah. Okay. Let's go see your brother. What was the name of the forest? Where was the forest? Which forest did he go to? What was the name of the Druid mentor that he had that came and took him from your family? You know, is he a shape changer? What, what kind of animal does he normally take the shape of that he identifies with, you know? Um, and, and let the player tell you, let the player determine all of those things. That makes them more invested as well. Absolutely. This is great. Um, I see now why you were called out as an expert in in this field. Um, it's great. And I it sounds like your players are very lucky and that you're a really great dungeon master. So Well, I, I hope so. Like I said, it's all about learning all the time, right? I, I, I yeah. kind of sometimes I say, Well, if you're an experienced DM or a new DM, well guess what? It doesn't matter how long you've been DMing or how short a time you've been DMing. If you're trying and you're changing things a little bit and you're learning every time, then you are doing awesome. Keep it up keep doing it. It's a ton of fun. Not everybody has the best session ever every time. That's impossible, right? And even experienced DMs have cases where they don't have that and just keep doing it and baby steps the entire way. And eventually enough time will have passed and enough baby steps will have been taken that you've gone a mile and you didn't even know it. There you go. So if people want to find out uh, more about your podcast, uh, your live streaming, (laughs) your work, just ask you maybe advice about dungeon mastering where's the best place to find all of that the best place to find all of that is you can um there is a show there's a podcast called the tome show it's the longest running non-wizards of the coast D podcast it's it's iconic um i'm the main editor there and i'm also the uh, guest host on multiple episodes and one of the shows we have on there is called behind the dm screen Nice. It's it's me and two other dms and we basically talk about our campaigns what's going on in them and then talk about you know, advice or how did this go? Or can you give me advice for this type of thing? Or I want to plan this. What do you think about that? And, and then that's all recorded and released uh, in podcast form so that you can kind of hear the minds of dungeon masters as they're working through their own issues in certain games. Um, so there's that. And also if you enjoy older editions, I co-host the Edition Wars podcast, which is also on that 
on that channel with a gentleman named Branda Stoddard, who is just a font of knowledge and a highly esteemed colleague of mine. Um, and uh, you can find my writings at rpgmusings.com, which is my website, and I write there and I talk about my games. Uh, and you can follow me on Twitter at DM Samuel. And I, I run uh, also my, my D&D brief show is, has also now on the Tome Show. It was uh, on a different channel before, but now it's on the Tome Show. Um, so really the best place to find me is probably the Tome Show. But um, if you want to go to RPG Musings or to Twitter, you can do that as well. And I, I love talking to people about this stuff. I mean, this is my main hobby. This is kind of what I do other than my, quote, real job. So, um, you know, so it, ask questions, you know, send me a message, uh, you know, however you want to do it. The Tome Show has a Discord, so if you send me a message and say, hey, how do I get to your Discord, we can add you to that, and yeah, so. That's great. I always love to see our, how members of the community help support other members of the community, so thank yeah. you for, for everything, and thank you so much for being a guest. You well, talk about a wealth of knowledge. Oh, thank you so much for having me. This was a ton of fun, and I hope I didn't just talk your ear off and not let no, you get a word in edgewise. <laughs> this is excellent uh, information. I think people are really going to learn a lot from you, so thank awesome. you. Awesome. Thank you. Until we meet again, my friend. Yes. I'm going to go just write up some backstories just for fun. <laughs> it's perfect, right? And make sure you integrate them in with the NPCs and the other players. I love that. Such good <laughs> advice. All right. Thank you. Thank you. I feel like I know so much more uh, about so many different things regarding Dungeons and Dragons after that segment, don't you? Uh, definitely more about how to be a dungeon master. That's right. Great tips once again. You're out. Inching me closer and closer to that spot behind the screen. How long do you think we'll be able to uh, milk your, like, I'm almost going to play uh, as a dungeon master? I am going to guess about six years. <laughs> 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 Starting right Starting, now. All right, get the clock going. Give me six more years, and I think I'm gonna be ready. You know, we've done Dragon Dock for almost six years, so does that count? Is that are we almost no. up? No, starting now. So yeah, it, so twelve. By years. the time I'm ready, there's going to be like holograms that you can just program to come DM your games. <laughs> I won't even. You need won't to even be need to do it. Master. That's why we play the D and D and try to create conversations online with amazing podcasters like Ryan Cassidy. Yes, let's learn some stuff. I want to know how to run my own Bachelorette D and D game. Maybe he's a reality TV fan. You never know. We're just going to have to ask him. That'll be our first question. Let's let's call him up. Okay. Let's welcome Ryan Cassidy to Dragon Talk. Welcome. Yay, Ryan. I'm your biggest fan. Oh, your biggest fan is here what? in our studio audience. His name Pleasure is Puppy. Here. <laughs> uh, so you are a longtime D&D player. How long have you been playing when was the when was your origin story how did you start yeah so i started playing DD like really getting into it probably a couple months after i graduated college back in 2011 <laughs> i had <laughs> uh-oh sorry <laughs> I was like literally being like, oh, he's going to say like 1992 or something like oh, that. Oh, no. he wasn't born. Oh, no. oh my God. 86 was my birthday. Oh, okay. Year. Okay. All right. 
Um, but I had a little taste of it when I was in high school, probably I'd say 2003, 2004. I had a friend in high school. His brother was big in the D&D. He was a really good artist and he had all the player like the player's uh, handbook, the DM guide. I believe it was 3.5 mm-hmm. at the time. And, you know, him and his buddies were playing for a little bit and I kind of was over randomly and I saw them. And I was like, what? what are you guys doing? Are you guys like acting? What's going on? There's <laughs> dice involved, what, you know? And I kind of watched them for a little bit and it looked pretty fun and they were able to get me in for a session. And I was really intrigued, but I didn't have any friends to play with my, you know, play with me at the time. So it kind of died down a bit. But then once college hit, you know, I had some buddies who were just as nerdy as me um, talk about D&D a little bit. And I was like, hey, let's give it a shot. So in 2011, we started a campaign and no one really knew how to DM at the time. So I was like, you know what? I'll give it a shot, whatever. How hard so, could it be? <laughs> yeah, I was like, how hard it could it be? And I started noticing all the rules and all the books. And I was like, okay, I might be a little too much over my head right now. But uh, I had another buddy who kind of helped me out a little bit. So it wasn't too bad. Um, yeah. And that, that my first campaign DMing was actually an amazing time. Uh, we still actually play that campaign. Oh, no way. Oh, wow. So, yeah, it's, it's kind of died down a bit. We don't play as much due to COVID and stuff. Um, but it's, it's been a great, great time with D&D. It, it's a major part of my life. I've made so many friends because of D&D and, you know, I, I'll always rep D&D whenever I can. I love it. <laughs> nice. Oh, that's nice. And that, yeah. So uh, when you said that, so you took on the role of dungeon master and so what did you, like, how did, how did you even jump into that role? Did you just pick up a DMG and say, yeah, oh so- God, I've made a terrible mistake? <laughs> 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 I, at first, I at first I was, and uh, again, I had a I had a buddy. He jumped actually jumped into the campaign as a player, and he had all the books, and he allowed me to borrow some of those books. And I was going through, and I was like, "Man, this is this is so much information." And my friend Jacob at the time, I mean, he's still my friend, but um, <laughs> he kind of just explained some of the basic concepts. And you know what? I had the book with me every time we played, and I kind of just went along with it. You know, I didn't remember all the rules, but that's kind of the fun of D&D. You yeah. don't have to follow the book, you know, right. word for word. You can make up rules on the spot. Um, I always try to be, you know, consistent about it and fair. But once I realized that my players were totally cool with the way I DM'd, I started to feel a lot more comfortable. And I wasn't always worrying or being stressed about, you know, oh, crap, what's the rule for this? You know, I kind of just made up on the spot if I didn't know. Or if the players wanted to look onto their phones or something, they'd pull out a book or something. So it wasn't too much of a a hassle for me. And over the years, I've just gotten much more comfortable with it. And thank you to Wizards of the Coast for pulling out 5th edition because (laughs) I love 5th edition so much. So, nice. Yeah. Right. So yeah, you started with 3.5 and it's when you started when you started doing DMing, you were in uh the fourth edition era with the Eberron setting, is that right? Yes, yes. And that's actually the campaign setting that I started with was Eberron. And I love Eberron. It it's it's what started everything for me. And to this day, I, I rep Eberron as much as possible. <laughs> nice. nice. What is it about? So I started. That was me. I started with 3.5 and Eberron as well. Really? Nice. Yeah. Awesome. Yep. What was it about it, Ryan, that, uh, uh, you know, played into your sensibilities? Um, you know, I'd have to say it was 
mainly because it was my first campaign setting that I kind yeah, of played remember with. remember your first. Yeah. yeah, it was my first. And I really liked some of the additional uh, races and classes that they had included in Eberron, like the Warforged. It, yeah. it, it's a favorite of mine. I can't go wrong with the Warforged, at least in my books. And just the whole aspect of how magic and technology works in Eberron is really what, you know, what got me. It hooked me. Like the class of the Artificer, um, infusing magic into items. That was really cool. Like, I mean, I know you could probably do that with, you know, any campaign setting, but it was right there for me to go off of in Ebron and to this day, love it. <laughs> yeah, that is cool because you're right. You know, you could certainly come up with some of the, the things that are going on in Eberron and infuse them into your homebrew campaign. But here it was, Correct. you know, the entire, uh, you know, setting as it was described included all of those things and so it's always just easier to jump into to all right. of that and you're right I, the war forged are, are something there's something about it that just feels weird and strange not like other things in dungeons and dragons right so it's, it's yeah got all those, yeah. those qualities for sure definitely and then uh, another race i really fell in love with was the shifter mm. my my buddy plays a, a monk shifter it's pretty crazy it's, it's fun what he does with it a bear monk shifter Ooh. yeah i know it's it's kind of weird to to like imagine but he just runs around pretending to be like macho man randy savage it's it's hilarious <laughs> <laughs> snap into an iron ration awesome. exactly that's exactly the voice. <laughs> <laughs> that's so great so now you're uh you know you have a uh podcast that is a actual play a podcast taverns and caverns uh talk yes. a little bit about how that started yeah so uh Taverns and Caverns kind of just started off the cuff. It was kind of like a random thing. I had a couple of friends who have never played D&D and they wanted to try playing it. And at the time I started to get into some podcasts and I was like, you know what? Let's try doing a podcast randomly just for fun. Um, I had no experience with podcasting as far <laughs> as setting up anything. So I apologize if early episodes have some <laughs> Pretty poor audio, but <laughs> I feel like that's true of every podcast, including yep. this one. That is true. Yes, we okay. have. Well, I'm glad I'm not the only early, one. Check out some of those early dragon talks, and you can hear toilets <laughs> flushing in the background. Right, exactly. Like people walking to meetings. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it it all started with you know again a bunch of buddies and friends. My girlfriend as well had never really played D and D all too much before, and she wanted to try it. And my other friends, Brianna and Julian, have never played it. So I was like, you know what? I'll whip up, whip up something really quick for you guys and see if you guys like it. And we kind of did like a test run session where they created some characters and they really enjoyed it. So uh, I was like, you know what? If you guys really enjoyed it and you want to keep playing, what do you guys think about doing a podcast? You know, just first time for everyone. So and they're all pumped. They're like, yeah, let's do it. So I was like, all right, cool. Let's, let's give it a try. And the only other player in my in the in the podcast is my friend Robert, and he's actually in my other campaign that I started back in 2011. So him and I were probably the only, or we're the only two players that were you know experienced with D and D. Julian, uh, Bry, and Felicia they had no experience whatsoever. That's so cool. it was it was a nice introduction for D and D for them. But we started, and they had a blast, and we. Were, we decided to start recording and we let it out. And I heard through some other friends that they've always wanted to try D&D. &D. So I was like, you know what? This is a perfect opportunity for people who have never 
played D&D, have always been interested mm-hmm. to kind of listen in a little bit to kind of see, well, how do my friends play it? Yeah. You know, because sometimes it can be very intimidating for some people to jump in the D&D. So it was a great way for other friends to kind of take a peek, listen, see how we played things. And it's funny because I have a lot of friends that listen to it now and all of them are now either playing D&D or wanting to play D&D. It, it's a really fun um, fun thing in my life. And I'm glad that, you know, I'm able to do it. I also run some demo sessions online from time to time with people who have never played. I throw really quick, you know, one shots for them to do, whether they want to create a character or I create a character for them and they can kind of test out the battle versus the role play, you know, whatever floats their boat. So that's, that's cool. kind of really, that's, yeah, that's yeah. how... Yeah, well, thank you. Yeah, it's it's fun. I've had a couple people who have never played do the demo sessions, and, and they've been asking me, you know, oh, I want to play some more. Unfortunately, I don't have, like, all the time to play 50 <laughs> campaigns, but... <laughs> if only but you had a time yeah. warp spell you could cast that could allow you to right. play all exactly. the Exactly. So, going back to what you said about the demo, um, yeah. so you said people can test out the role play or test out... Like, what do you mean Yeah, so... Uh, uh, thankfully, with online resources, we have like things like Roll Twenty, where mm-hmm. you can play, you know, RPGs online. So I'll I'll set up quick little one shot campaigns on Roll Twenty, and then I'll basically talk to a number of people that are interested, and I'll tell them, Hey, do you want me to help you create a character? You know, go through that process, or do you want me to make something or a character for you based off what you like? Ooh, and I'll have that ready like you for could you. Get, like that could be a nice little side hustle. I feel like. <laughs> right. People I would mean, like that. Yeah. Like yeah, here, some here's some of the things I like doing. Here's some yeah. of the things I'm into. It's kind of like a like a stitch fix for character creation. You're like you, you guys probably don't know what that is. <laughs> or it's like a, you know, a like, cosmopolitan personality quiz. Kind of, <laughs> but like you you can like check off the things that you like, and then somebody curates a character. Yeah, that's exactly. That's exactly what I ended up doing. I have a, my, my friend Vince, his, his wife found out that he was listening to the podcast and she has no experience with D&D whatsoever. And she found out I was doing some demos and she was like, you know, Vince, can you ask Ryan if I can plan the demo? I was like, yeah, I was like, yeah, come on in. You're more than welcome. You and you and your husband are welcome to join. And she had no idea what was going on. So I was like, you know what? Well, what kind of character do you like? You know, here, here are the races you can choose from, some of the classes and stuff. And she kind of went over some of that. And they ended up buying the player's handbook to go over this stuff and end up reading like most of it in, in a week. So it was crazy. Wow. But uh, she basically said, you know what? I can't choose if I want a ranger or if I want a rogue that goes into arcane trickster. And I was like, you know, whatever you feel, best suit your character i'll make it for you just tell me what race you know what are your quirks what kind of items do you want to have weapons armor you know what what fits your play style and your imagination and i'll i'll do my best to create it and then you can be that character in the demo so once i create these characters or or the players create their characters for the demo i'll run like a i try to keep it minimal to two hours at tops for the demo it's a very quick, you know, you're in the tavern or in a cavern or whatever, and something goes down. I give the players time to kind of introduce each other and meet one another, and that gives them that slight role play kind of feel for mm-hmm. the first couple of minutes or so. And then I'll, you know, 
do a quick battle, a very simple battle, so they can get a test or a taste of battle and role play at the same time. Mm-hmm. And I kind of explain to them a full campaign. You know, it can go months, years, depending on what you guys are wanting to do. But that's basically how the demo sessions work. They get to test out D&D, see if they like it. And I'm always lenient as, as far as like, you know, what people want to do. I, I always want to make sure the players are having fun. So when it comes to D&D and my players ask me questions, I'm usually a yes man. So <laughs> as long as they're having fun, that's all that matters to me. Because when they're having fun, I'm having a blast. So Great, great uh, way to think about dungeon mastering, especially with new players, right? I think a lot of people yeah. yes. lose that yes. because they'll be like, well, I got to make sure that I make it hard or challenging for them. And I'm like, actually, you don't. <laughs> right, right. And, and, and that's something you can always talk about too, you know, prior to uh, forming a group for D&D, kind of get a feel for what your players want and what you want as a DM. Talk about that, you know. If, if certain players want to play the game where it's like, I want to do nothing but battles. I want to maximize yeah. the damage. And that's okay. But, you know, make sure that's known beforehand and you can play that way. Or if there's other people that care about the role-playing aspect more, you know, I'm, I'm someone that likes to, you know, get in between. So Yeah. Yeah. I feel sure. like I'm in between as well. Yeah. But I'm kind of intrigued by this idea of like the, like giving people like a short little taste of like, Role play and combat, kind of the, yes. the two main things that you're probably going to experience in your game because yes. they're both overwhelming or can be for, perceived as overwhelming to a new player. Sure. But if you're just like, okay, this is how combat, this is, I'm going to say this and you are going to do this. <laughs> like, just really like roll that, the largest die you have, the one with 20 sides, <laughs> and add right. it to this, it kind of breaks it down. And it and, does. It does. And then, like, just, like, gently, like, here's, like, you know, a pretty basic tavern scene. Just introduce yourselves. Hey, look, guys, you're role-playing. Because I keep, Greg, I keep going back to the game that we played with Lauren and Ricky when they were brand new. And even just, like, the idea of role-play is very scary. Like, people don't realize it's really just talking. And you can just talk in your regular voice. Right, right. Like, you don't, like, like, people have a connotation with role-play that's, like, Oh my god! Like I need a costume, and I need a right. voice, and I have to be very, very clever and creative. And, it, and this isn't and, a sex thing, is it? Uh, <laughs> right. I, yeah. Like, are we in therapy? Like, what? Is, yeah. What's happening here? So all those preconceived so, like, notions, but you can like tear them down just by being like, "Hey, look, we we just did role play. It was great." Yeah, you guys. Yeah, like, that's it. I'm just, just yeah. Talk you can to be very other. simple about it. It doesn't have to be anything, you know, crazy. And and one of the things I like to do with the players in the demo sessions, I always provide them like quick little, like one page cheat sheets to kind of show them what they can do like in combat and stuff like that. So if they ever like forget, they're always welcome to ask me during the demo. I always tell the players like, Hey, everyone here is new. No one's played. Ask questions. We can hold the game. I'll answer any questions you guys have. So a lot of it is me kind of explaining the rules one at a time, making sure it's easy to understand, (coughs) not too intimidating for them. So, and for sure, in the role-playing aspect, that kind of, that's the fun part about DMing for me is when you start a session with a bunch of new people, my 2011 campaign, um, for example, all of us, except for one, was brand new to D&D. I didn't know what to expect. Uh, I was the dungeon master. I didn't do random voices for NPCs and things like that at first. You know, I just used my normal voice. Everyone around the table used their normal voice. 
But as as we continued to play, I was like, you know what? Let me try and spice it up a bit. Throw a deep voice in here, a light voice in there. And it started to pick up. And then the best part about D&D as a DM is your players. Once they grow comfortable with their character, you know, they might start coming up with new voices. And, you know, once someone is like attuned to their character and they have that voice down and they really get into the role-playing aspect and I can just sit back and watch them role-play, that is the best feeling as a DM. That is, I agree with you. When, when you can have a session where you're like, hey, I didn't really, I didn't really talk very much at all. It was all right. about the interplay mm-hmm. between the, you know, the, the characters as they try to resolve the drama amongst themselves that they created, right? Yes. And you're like, oh Exa- gosh. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, I know. I, 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 it's a, a little bit hard for some players because some enjoy just the combat aspect right and they just come yes, into it yes. just as a strategy game and that can be really fun but i really love the subtle hints and it sounds like you were doing these too maybe not even purposely um of just asking like okay so what did you you, you said what you want your character to say but like how do they actually word it like right you know don't just tell me the the twenty thousand foot view of this conversation like tell me what they actually say and yeah. you can see them like work through that a little bit and be like, oh, uh, uh, I'm going to say this. And then you're right. After a time, inflections change and yes. you know, some characterization changes because you're, you're forcing the player to think not as a player but as a character. Right, exactly. And you know, that just comes with time. And that's something I tell you know, plenty of new players. You know, don't feel like you have to have your character down-packed right away. Yeah. Your character grows with you. So... You know, as time goes, you'll become more, you know, um, attuned and comfortable playing that character. So, and you know what's interesting? And this is just totally a random aside, but I remember watching. I didn't watch this show. It was called The Blacklist. Uh, uh, James Spader was in it. Did you ever see that show? You know what I'm talking about? I, I did not. I didn't really watch it either. But I happened to watch one interview <laughs> that he did on like a late night talk show, and he was very forth coming about saying like here i'm doing these interviews it was right when jimmy fallon was starting uh, the tonight show thing and so it was under the guise of james spader giving jimmy fallon a compliment he was trying to say like it's so great to be able to talk to you because you're so happy and, and fun and, and blah, blah blah and here i am and we don't really know what the show is about yet like we're still making the blacklist we just did the pilot we did like three or four episodes we're still making it up and i don't really even know how to talk about my character because we're still doing it. Like we're still in this, you know, early stages of of setting the tone for it. And I for some reason that little detail of an actor admitting that on a uh, a national stage <laughs> that he doesn't know what the heck he's doing and they're improvising <laughs> and 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 making the show together with the collaborators, with the writers, with the producers, with the other actors. I'm like that's that's a D&D campaign. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right, exactly. No one's perfect. I mean, yeah. You, you roll with the punches, you go with, you know, what's on the table and you do your best. I mean, you can't ask for any more than that. So oh, what's that's interesting to think about like your first, uh, the, the first time you, you have your, your campaign started. Why can I not think of like the first day? First what, what? <laughs> session, session, session. Thank you. Thinking, the <laughs> thinking of it as like a pilot as a, like that's an yeah. interesting way of like how yeah. to frame. Anyway. Yeah, it's, it's a good it's a good way to think about it because you go into it you know not expecting you know to do everything you, you know there's going to be hiccups along mm-hmm. the way I mean, yeah new characters getting to know the getting to know the characters getting to know the world do you go into your campaigns like 
like, well, how do you prepare for a campaign? Do you know, because you you do, a, it's a homebrew that you? Yes. Yeah. So with Taverns and Caverns um, on our podcast, it's all homebrew based. And it's it's funny because it's more along the lines of, you know, I, I'm probably not the best DM to follow with how I do things, but uh, I, I'll start setting a few things up. And at least with the podcast, it's kind of a tell your, uh, what do you call it? A... Uh, choose your own adventure book kind of thing. Uh, I'll provide them path. with. Yes, exactly. <laughs> there you go. I'll provide them with several options and they, they kind of just choose which option they do. And sometimes, well, more than sometimes they're really good about choosing like option Z when I only have option A and B. <laughs> <laughs> That's my biggest fear. <laughs> um, but we kind of just play and the, we create the world as we go. So it's not only on my, it's not only on me to create, the world, we call it reverie. Um, the players also create it as well. So during role-playing, for example, Brianna's character, she plays a, a a rogue. His name is Damien. And she might say something during role-play, like, you know, my family back in this town. And I'll keep a note. I'll be like, okay, well, that's a town. Mm. You know, that exists in this world. So we kind of make it up as we go. Um, I do a lot of prepping in terms of, you know, I try to make sure, like, the world's, physics and like the the, the patreons um uh, or patreons but the the gods and goddesses all kind of you know are uh, consistent you know I, I try not to just throw random things every every time we play but we do build upon the world as we play which is nice because that means no one has to worry about well you know should i study this campaign setting should i know what this nation is should i know where these you know particular group of people come from I, you know, we, we kind of don't worry about that. So I like that. Yeah. Yeah. And then how do you keep track of all of that? So I, I personally, I like to, I like to write and I have a Google doc where I'll just, I kind of write my sessions in a, in a, in a format of like a chapter. Hmm. It doesn't have to be anything crazy. You know, I'll just say, you know, session one, for example, and I'll start coming up with ideas of what I can do, what, what might happen, potential villain. And I'll write out, quick chapter and then um once i have that chapter written i'll just we'll play it and if they follow it they follow it if they don't they don't i'll come up with something something else if need be but, do you share that with your players or do you keep that yeah. just for you i keep that for myself i try not to spoil too much for them mm. um I, I want it to be exciting and i, I don't want to i don't want them to see what's you know going to happen in the future but uh, you know when it comes to the writing aspect, I like to throw in like an overarching story that they can focus on, but that's not the only story they have to focus on. There's a lot of side quests that they'll go and do that they choose to do. And that's perfectly fine. I'll let them go and do that. But I like to provide them at least a, a main antagonist or some, or, or an event or something that will keep them going forward. Whereas, you know, um, one of the things we do on the podcast that there's a there's a thing called the Adventurers Guild that I just threw in there, and it's basically players go into the Adventurers Guild and they sign up to be a guild member, and there's random quests they can take. And I'll just go into the monster manual prior to the session. I'll be like, all right, let's look at some monsters that you know will, would fit their level. All right, well here's some goblins, for example. There's a group of goblins causing problems over here, and I'll look. Well, there's some zombies doing this over here. So they'll go and choose kind of like what quest they want to take. And depending on where they go, 
you know, it just goes from there. Yeah. So it, it gives them that, that feeling of we get to choose our adventure. We get to choose what we're doing. We're not only focusing on this, you know, one, one event or this one antagonist because, you know, overall every character has their own story. They're not always going to be together and say, let's, let's just do this one thing all the time. You know, there's, they have, you know, there's things they can do here and there on the side as well. So. That's cool. Tell me about mm-hmm. um, Reverie. Like, I, you know, just even the name of that has a little bit of a uh, so, allure to me. So, yeah, what, uh, yeah, what, what makes so, it interesting? So, Reverie actually first started, I actually created a, uh, I'm a game designer for a board game. It's called Untold Reverie. And the whole word, the whole meaning behind Reverie, you know, it's just like a daydream or something that's, that's a fantasy. It doesn't exist. You know, you're dreaming about something. Uh, that word, it just, came to me when I created this board game um, called Untold Reverie. And in my board game, it's actually not the same world that I use in the board game for the podcast. I just liked the name Reverie. But <laughs> <laughs> it's a cool it's word. Good. Yeah. And, and the, the way of, well, I think what makes Reverie interesting uh, in, in, in terms of the podcast is for me personally, you know, if you're the DM, you have to have fun with, with the creation of the world or what's going on in this world, whether you're using a campaign setting like Evron or if you're forgotten realms or whatever, for me, I personally like to create things. It, it's, it's just, it's what speaks to me as a DM. I, I just like to be able to create and create and create and see how the players react to it. And when it comes to creating reverie, I, I don't know if you guys can see, I I'm, I'm kind of crazy about like, going into things but uh this here is a map of that i created i was gonna uh, ask about that oh, yes nice. it's it's actually the main continent in the uh called tierister and um you know i'll, I'll go into things like this and i'll create crazy stuff and i'm like hey guys this is kind of the world or the the continent you're on you can go here 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 whatever you guys want to do have fun with it um but i think what makes reverie exciting and fun to listen to is it, again, it's it's the whole players or listeners, I guess, they don't know what to expect. You know, reverie is a whole new thing. We, we make it up as we go. You know, some people may not like that. But for us, it's something we love to do. And, you know, some players or listeners, you know, they like to listen to stuff that's being made up on the spot. Because if you can see that this group of people are making something up as they go, why can't we do it? You know, it, it, you know, it's the whole homebrew aspect I love because everyone is able to be creative. Mm. And I think that's why, at least for Reverie in the world of Reverie, it's, it's something that everyone has pitched in on. It's, you know, I know I created the map and stuff, but as far as some of the stories and the, the wonderful characters, the players created that. And that, that whole homebrew aspect, everyone feels like they have a connection to the campaign. And I think that's what makes Reverie or any other homebrew um, meaningful to people. Well, not all homebrews are like that. I mean, that's that's a no, that's a very it's... distinct you know thing. I mean, I I do know people who do that, but there are the ones who, as dungeon master, control all of the the details yeah. and right. you know only allow that to happen. So that's not uh, right. that's not necessarily all about homebrew. But if you could summarize, like. Is it, you know, is Reverie based on, you know, medieval times? Does it have like that yeah. kind of idea of warring nations? Uh, you know, yeah. what, what's, what's kind of the basic thing so that, that a lot of, the players have created? Yeah, so 
at least on my end as the dungeon master and creating reverie, I have a lot of inspiration from my first campaign setting. From Eberron. Yes. So there's there's a bunch of inspiration that comes from Eberron. You know, the I guess Reverie would be very close to Eberron in terms of the fantasy feel. It's like the medieval fantasy mixed with, you know, flying airships with technology that is, you know, with magic. And, you know, and, and that's something people always forget, too, when they're playing d d You know, you're, you're more than a, you're allowed to take inspiration from other things, you know. Yeah. Um, you don't always have to create something brand new every time. But in the world of Reverie, you know, I growing up as a kid, I was in love with old RPG games like Final Fantasy, you know, things like that. And that was a big inspiration too. I loved the the flying airships. And when I found out, wow, Eberron has these awesome flying airships too, you know, that was <laughs> like, I got to do it. <laughs> got to have it. So. Cool. Yeah. Are there Makes specific uh, players that have, you know, taken on, you know, countries or nations and kind of uh, uh, developed them? So, uh, so far, we're still pretty new podcast. Um, the story, we try to do like two episodes a month. We're, we're pretty busy. We don't get to play as often as we would want. Yeah. But th- most of the focus for the main players is, is it one nation at, at this point called Londe. And most of their story is taking place there. I have left, left open the rest of the continent of Tierister. Um, for what for these episodes that we do called side stories. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the times on the side stories, I do my best to try and pull in other players that have haven't played D before and they want to try it. Um, but for the side story episodes, we try to do things and try to do stories that are like one shots that take place in different parts of Tierister. So it's for the listeners, it's not always the same place. Right. They can hear they can hear, well, there's these characters doing this in this nation. You know, these characters doing this in that nation. And one of the fun side stories that I recently had done was I had a local friend that is a local uh, author. He joined uh, in on this uh, side story. And I had another buddy who had never played D&D before. He said, hi, I listened to your, your podcast. Can I try? I was like, yeah, sure. You want to be on the podcast? <laughs> <laughs> it was his very first time playing. And I was like, you can be in the world of Reverie. I mean, you love listening to the podcast. Come make a character in the world of Reverie and we'll do something. Nice. So, you know, with that side story, we did something in a completely different part of the map. And you know, when it comes to that, there's, there's not necessarily any warring nations per se, but um, it, it, that's something that if the players want to do something like that, that by all means, we can make it happen. <laughs> start a war. <laughs> we can start a war. I mean, oh, that's what you all want. Um, obviously, as uh, as I created Reverie, I've, I have notes of each nation's like agendas and kind of like what they look forward to. So like if, if starting a war is something you guys want to do, I have the perfect nation that's ready to do that. So. <laughs> oh, but, interesting. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I guess if you if the character do the characters have that information? Uh, yes and no. If they ask for it, role playing wise, I'll tell them. If they ask for it out of character, I'll tell them. <laughs> so. Okay, so they just have to ask for it because yeah. like, that would be. I could see like coming from one of these different nations how that would inform the character. Maybe, Correct. That you're right. Building, right. So. And I I try to uh, open that up too with role playing as NPCs as well. I'll try to talk about 
other things that's happening when I can as an NPC to kind of do that in character to see if they catch on. Mm -hmm. Um, That's one of the fun things I like to do here and there, see if they catch on to something. (laughs) That is the best when you can drop a hint uh, in the middle of a conversation and be like, will they? I don't know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Interesting. So now there's a board game too? Yeah, so the board game's completely separate from the podcast or anything. I, I actually was very bored one day no pun back intended in, <laughs> back in 2017 i was like you know what i i don't see very many tabletop games you know uh, that do like the 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 strategy rpg type gameplay that i like that dnd kind of has so you know one day i just started writing up some stuff and i was like you know let's let's make a home board game just for fun and at that point, I just started really getting into it. I took some inspiration from old tactical role-playing games, you know, like Fire uh, Fire Emblem was an, an old an older game that I played as a kid. I love that strategy concept. And then I, I looked at D and D. I was like, D and D is basically similar to you know some of these old uh, tactical RPGs that I played as a kid. You know, so I kind of like tried to mix some of those aspects from each game to try and create something new and quick for a, a board game and. Um, it kind of went crazy. Uh, I had some people play test it, and they really had a lot of fun. I actually have it here with me. Nice. So it's not actually like official for sale or anything. I'm still in the work of play testing, doing things. I, I've taken the game to several events, conventions. Um, Origins is actually one of the ones I really want to take it to. Um, but th- there is an RPG convention called a CadeCon in Dayton. I was able to take and do a play test and get some people's opinions on the game. And then I've, I've taken it to a couple other local Ohio conventions for play testing. And at, at, at some point I was like, you know what, people are really liking this, this idea and this board game. So I was like, Let, let's try to make a, a version just for, I guess myself that I could just have and show people for fun. Cause it's not something, you know, you know, your friends or random people just do I, I don't know maybe they do i don't know but um so i i, I actually like everybody here in seattle it. is a board game designer on the side so yeah yeah that's awesome yeah. that's awesome um but i i got really crazy into it and i had some friends that were artists and i was like hey if i pay you guys you know would you guys make some characters up for me for the board game and then my friend alexis was a graphic designer i was like alexis if i give you, you know, all my notes for the rules and i make sure it's you know, easy to read. Can you create a whole manual for it? And she was able to do it. Oh, wow. Um, but like, I don't know if you guys can see, but I actually got it all printed. Oh, my it's God. An, it, it's an actual board game. What? Oh, wow. Yeah. So yeah, I was um, saying you were just called, making a prototype and like cutting out yeah, uh, pieces yeah, and stuff well, on cardboard. That was, I expected. That's, a, that's what it was for a while. Yeah. And I was like, what, I was like, let's make something nicer for people when we go to these conventions to play test. So like, you know, it has like the whole manual for people to look through. Oh my um, God. All the pieces and everything. But a lot of the inspiration for this, again, comes from the tactical role playing games from Final Fantasy Tactics. Did you play that one? That, yes, that's my, that's actually what started me on the whole tactical RPG thing. Yeah. Final Fantasy Tactics. And then I, uh, as a kid, I also played Super Mario RPG. Right. Like that, what got me into, that's what got me into RPGs. And then I saw Final Fantasy Tactics. And to this day, Final Fantasy Tactics is still my favorite tactical role playing game. Me too. And that's probably part of the reason why I love DDs, because I saw the grids and I'm like, <laughs> plays like except i get to you know control the character you know yeah but so how does it work is it a co-op game or is it competitive so 
so the board game, it's 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 mostly competitive. You can do one versus one, uh, two versus two, or free for all. We're actually doing some more play testing. I wanted to change some of the rules up, but COVID happened, right. and I haven't been able to do uh, do a lot of play testing for it because of that. So hopefully, once COVID kind of calms down, I can get some more events going on with it. But it, it's mostly competitive. So basically, you choose a a faction, and once you choose a faction. Each faction has what's called commanders or heroes. You choose one hero or commander, and then you choose five or how many you want out of so many soldiers that are different classes. And it's basically like a mix of chess meets D&D, kind of. You, you have a commander who has special skills, who's a little stronger than your normal units, and then you have your normal units that all have different skills as well. Mm-hmm. You take it to a board. It's, it's an eight by eight board called your territory. And each player has their own board. And you basically place the boards together and it creates a giant map. And um, there's D6s involved and some D4s, but that's about it. And each card is like a character that has stats and things like that. And, uh, a game that's somewhat similar to it, if you guys have ever played the tabletop game, it's uh, I think it's called Super Dungeon Explorer, hmm. something like that. It's it's similar to that, not as much of a dungeon crawler, but more of like a, an army. Yeah. It's an army cool. kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. sounds similar to uh, uh, Dungeon Command uh, that was done yes. for uh, Wizards when it was the skirmish game with the miniatures, which yes. I loved. Uh, similar to that. Yeah. Cool. Well, that's awesome. What a great, creative, fun project to do when we're all uh, yeah. in when our you houses. Get bored. Yeah. Sometimes I go a little too crazy with it sometimes, but yeah. Shelly, when you get bored, what do you do? Do I, you make yeah, board games? Like when I get bored, I usually just like watch some Netflix. <laughs> yeah, I do that too. Yeah. Nothing wrong I don't with that. I really like make, make a board game, but I do make bread. I do make bread now. That counts. Same thing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no, cooking counts. Baking, <laughs> cooking. I love cooking. I do it all the time. Do You're you right. ever cook? Uh, like, do you ever theme your uh, meals with your game, or like create you like know, a I, tasting I, menu to go with that night's I, adventure? I, I actually have never done that, but that's a great idea. <laughs> yeah, we're talking a little bit today with somebody about doing that, um, pairing food and like you know with. Where like if you're wherever your players might be exploring in the world, yeah. like give them a little taste of the, the yeah, and you could also put some background music, yeah. kind of set the tone and the mood. Yeah. There you go. Put on some sirenscape, <laughs> you're good to go. Yeah, dim the lights, put on the sirenscape. <laughs> right. <laughs> as long as there's uh, you know some thematic brew involved, I think it'll be right. a really mm-hmm. fun time. <laughs> yep, definitely. Nice. So I really like the idea. Just going back to uh, your uh, Dungeons and Dragons stuff, how you have been invi- inviting, um, you know, folks around your uh, the neighborhood in, in Columbus to come in and do these one shots. Yes. That's going to be a great way to, you know, bring in more audience, especially if they have you know their own streaming audience. For sure, for sure, and, and you know that's I think that's another reason I I really enjoy DMing for people. It's getting people to join the community. Showing people that D&D is not as intimidating as it can be. It, you know, people having fun, you know, having a great time. That's that's what I like to see. Yeah. So. Yeah, so, I mean, you're doing so many great things about trying to expand the audience uh, on your own. Yes, I have to say sure. thank you. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, no uh, problem. I have, a, I have a blast doing it. Um, you know, I, I, some of the side projects I currently have, I'm trying to do a lot of collaboration 
with some local artists and uh, uh, people that have skills that I unfortunately do not have. <laughs> I uh, <laughs> like, for example, again, I, I mentioned my friend. He's an author, local art, uh, author, Charles Askew. Uh, I'm actually collaborating with him to do what's called uh, some short stories or narratives where he's writing up short stories for NPCs that we've created along the way. And I'm kind of allowing him to do that on his own. And he gives me the synopsis. I kind of go over it with him. And we're trying to add that to the podcast as content. So for people that like to read and things like that, they'll have a, you know, an author who has written short stories of NPCs or characters that, you know, listeners enjoy. And then I'm also doing collaboration with, uh, I have a friend, he's a local artist, his name's Stephen Watley. He does amazing artwork and he does a lot of the artwork for the podcast. We do like cover art for each episode that we try to post on Instagram and stuff to kind of create that, that visual uh, for the world. So people can kind of see what, what we're imagining as we go. And, um, but yeah, other than that, I it's it's one of those things we we try to expand on. So I like that. So who? Yeah, it's it. But who does all the the maps? Because okay. your website they're just free for people just to. Oh, so I was gonna say yeah. Uh, I I created most of the the maps on our website. It's, you can just find them on tavernscaverns.com. Battle maps people can use on Roll Twenty or whatever online source that they use. But there's actually a, a wonderful resource. If, if you're into creating maps or you've always wondered, well, we're playing online because of COVID or whatever, and I don't have a map for this particular session or area. If there's an awesome resource called Incarnate. It's uh, just Google Incarnate. You can create your own D&D maps or whatever based off of their resource. And you don't have to be an artist. You don't have to be skilled. I'm not an artist. I don't know what I'm doing when it comes to that stuff. But they have an online resource tool that you can actually use to create your own maps. And you can either do like the free version, which has like the limited stuff, but or you can do like the uh, paid version, which has a lot more brushes and backgrounds and things like that. So one of the things I always hear people say on at least um, when my friends playing online is, you know, we don't have a lot of maps to choose from, or people don't like to Google you know, random maps, they, they want to have their own maps, you know, so that's a, a great way for people to create their own maps. And I know on our website, I was like, you know what, you know, I'm having fun with the podcast. Let's make some simple battle maps people can use whatever's for free. Just have fun guys, like have at it. Yeah. So yeah, I've used uh, Incarnate uh, in, in my homebrew campaign. It's been a great resource. Nice. Not so much for the yes. battle maps. I haven't done that because I've been focused on, uh, you know, creating uh, kind of miniature scapes on, my, on the table behind me. But uh, for region maps and city maps, it's really great to uh, have some control over there. And it's all saved online. And so you can share it really yeah. easily. Um, and I'm not an artist at all, but I like making maps. And it's been that idea yeah, of, of, you know, not having the skill to draw a tree, but I can use all these different trees. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and it's easy to use. It's fun. It's easy. You could be as creative as you want with it. Yeah. What is it called? Ink Carnet. Okay. Yeah. I I think that sounds like a fun activity to do with Quinn. Oh yeah, yeah you can. Yeah, say they have yeah. the they have the free um, version, so you can test it out and see if it's something you're into. And by all means, be as creative as you want. It's, it's fun to use. So. Yeah, and it's a great tool about getting, uh, you know, that spark of creativity around dungeon mastering that a lot of people 
feel as a blocker yes. where they'll be like, well, I'm just not good at drawing, so I guess I can't be a dungeon master, you know? And I'm like, well, right. I mean, there's all these things that you can use. You just gotta, yeah, you know, figure out sure. where they are. And some people just don't don't understand them. But I wanted to ask you, yeah. since you've been doing such a great job of getting, you know, new players into the game with these demo sessions that you've been doing, um, yeah. I wonder if there's a way to adapt to that idea, or if you have any new idea to try to uh, get Shelly to Dungeon Master again. Oh, or more, more people to Dungeon Master, you know, because that's always the limiting factor of, uh, you know, more and more Dungeons and, uh, Dungeons and Dragons sessions happening out there is that there's, you know, only so many people who want to cross that line from being a player into a DM. So what right. advice would you give or what, you know, what kind of things might you want to start uh, inspiring people to do? So, I, I mean... In terms of becoming a dungeon master per se, you know, some of the tips I really give people is yeah, one of the best ones to have is is know your audience, know your players. Try to try to form a group that you know is formed of people that you'll get along with. You know, if you can, it's, it's, that's not always the choice some people have, but trying to be as comfortable as you can with your players and sitting down again and kind of explaining to everyone well what's your play style this is my play style formulating that early on so you don't come across that hiccup down the road of someone preferring something over the other mm. come up with you know uh, a play style that you all can agree on that's that i think that's important because you want everyone to have fun you don't want to do too much of one thing so that and you know one of the big tips i give people who want to dm or get into dming is try not to stress too much about the rules. The, you know, the DM guide, it's meant to be there for you to go to if you, if you have issues. You don't, follow, you don't have to follow the rules word for word. I mean, it's perfectly fine to fo follow the rules word for word if you want, but uh, you know, I, my Twitter handle is haphazardDM. That's, that's how I DM. I, I'm, I don't do everything perfectly. So like... Try to go with the flow and let your players know and say, hey, I, you know, I don't know that rule. I'll make up something off the spot. As long as it's fair and consistent, you try to be consistent with it. If everyone's fine with it, then go with it. And that's one of the big things I think a lot of DMs come across first time is a player does something and the DM doesn't really know how to respond. You know, use your imagination. You know, go with what you think works, you know, and, and that's be open. Ask them so, to roll a die, even if you don't know what it means yeah. when they roll it. Just, just yeah. do it. Yeah. And then yeah. be like, Not, okay, yeah. Go work. behind your screen and go, oh, okay. And then like, yeah. act like you're writing down a lot of stuff, but really you're just like <laughs> pooping your pants because you're like, and then you, like, this is what you just do. Okay, hang on. Whoa, okay. Hang on. Oh, my gosh. Oh, wait, you got to write that down. Okay. Okay, what did you get again? Okay. <laughs> wow. Whoa. Okay. Nothing you're happens. Dead. You're yeah. dead. <laughs> You're dead. You're dead. Yeah. <laughs> Just eliminate the players one by one, and then I won't have to DM anymore. Yeah. Nope. It's 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 fine. Hey, there's nothing wrong with DM. You should definitely give it a try. So you've DM'd yeah. before. Yeah, I had. I didn't have great experiences. Oh well, why I not? Had, why what? Well, because similar to like you seem to think it's cool when people do this. I did not. But you were like, I know A and B, and my players choose Z. That's what threw me. And they they just like went to the right. And I was like, I don't know what's to the right. And I panicked instead of just being like, oh, okay, whatever I thought on the left can now just be on the right. Right. So so I guess another 
tip, I guess, that I could give to uh, new DMs is, you know, if you want to test DMing to see if it's something you want to do, you know, you don't have to, again, you don't have to use a campaign saying that's already created. Homebrew something. If you can homebrew something, yeah. you can make it up on the spot. The players so, won't know yeah. <laughs> if that's real or not. I was going to ask if you think it's easier to do homebrew or a published I, adventure. I I mean, it can go either way. The nice thing about the published is you have the material to go to if you're ever lacking something. Yeah. But I feel like with the homebrew, for, for people that love to be creative, I think it's easier with the homebrew, truthfully, because I can make up whatever and the players aren't going to know if that's if that's a thing or not. You know, yeah. it, you know, if they say, you know, this kingdom did this or, you know, these people did this, well, I'll say whatever and they're not going to know. <laughs> right. So. I do like that kind of freedom. Like, oh, if I just screw up, I'm just going to pretend that's just how things work here. <laughs> yeah, and, th and there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> I do it a lot. I do it a lot on the podcast. Sometimes they'll come up with stuff and, and it, it, you know, it throws me in the spot. And I'll just like, you know, I'm like, oh, well, let's just do this. And they go with it. So, and that's another thing about playing with people that you're comfortable with. Because, you know, you should never be uncomfortable as a DM. Your, your players should never make you feel inadequate mm -hmm. or make you feel bad about DMing. So, right. you, know, you know. Yeah, and there's the idea the that, uh, uh, and I feel this too, even when I, me as a dungeon master, having done it tons of times where the, it, it can feel like it's all on your shoulders, like you are the only yeah. one yes. who's carrying the game, yes. and that pressure can sometimes lead to great success because you're like, oh, I have to come up with something to show that uh, I, I, I have a, uh, in, in, you know, I can improvise. Um, but sometimes that pressure can be very uh, in, uh, the blocker, you know, not letting you want yeah, to do yes. it. And yeah. I wonder if there's a way to adapt your demo idea uh, or, or, or uh, you know, pastime to DMs. And, and similar to how yeah. you had one player who was a DM before in the first session that you DMed, yes. I wonder if we can be like, oh, here, Shelly, here's all these mostly new players, but one person who can help you out if you need it. Um, yes. to yeah. kind of alleviate that, some of those that pressures. That is a, a, a wonderful resource to have if it, when it comes to DMing. When I first started, like I had that, like you said, I had the one friend who knew D&D &D a bit. He, he never DMed, but he knew the rules for 3.5. You know, just having one person in the group kind of, they don't have to know it all, but if they can help you kind of push you along on, on parts where you're not sure, that's tremendous help it, it's amazing to have someone to back you up when you need it and you know and that's something with my players they know i'm not perfect and i'll even ask the players sometimes if if i forget a rule or they don't know the rules and i don't know i'll be like what do you guys think is fair mm. we'll roll with it oh that's a good so, approach yeah so nice definitely if, if, if you have any any friends like like greg said that none. has the end <laughs> <laughs> Who has friends nowadays? <laughs> I don't know what you mean by that. Um, but yeah, oh, I'll, well, I'll make myself available too if anybody wants to do. <laughs> yeah, like if you ever, if you never DM if you ever demo DM, sessions with me as your player, I'll do it. Yeah, <laughs> I'll jump in if you need no. me to. Like, nope. <laughs> I think that if I do, I'm. If they're going to be new players, and they're probably going to be kids. Hey, there's nothing or wrong pets. with pets. Maybe a cat. <laughs> There you go. I have four dogs, so <laughs> well, you, you have a party right there. Yeah, exactly. You know, one one's a monk, one's a paladin. They'll jump in your game. There you go. <laughs> dogs yeah. playing D and D. It's like yeah. perfect. Yeah, excellent. I'm gonna yeah. practice on my kid. 
first we're going to build some maps, though, because this looks really cool. Yeah, definitely. The incarnate, great resource. Mm -hmm. You know, another fun thing with D&D, too, is everyone likes to see, you know, their characters come to life. And I don't, uh, Isundra back here is actually. I saw that, too. uh, My girlfriend, Felicia, she's in the podcast. That is her character. Oh, so Isundra nice. is her character, and, you know, and that's another fun part about the whole D&D creating your own character aspect is there's so many artists out there that you can commission to create your characters, make them come to life. And I said we had four dogs. The Corgi here is actually one of our dogs. Oh, that's Cute. awesome. Yes. I love yeah. that phase. <laughs> I will tell you a story. This was a long time ago, but somebody said that I could... Um, I, I used to write a column for Dragon Magazine, and it was a lot of it was about the character I was playing at the time. She was a uh, a tiefling wizard, and he said, "Write me up a description of Tabitha." I'm like, "Okay." I was so excited to get art created for her, and when she came back, like she looked like I had described, except she had enormous boobs. <laughs> And like she was wearing the shirt that was like, like stretching. And I was like, oh, nowhere ever in my description did I say (laughs) that Tabitha was like super endowed and she would never wear that, even if she was. Like she would have a big, there'd be balance issues. She would never wear this. And I like, it was too late. Like they were just saying, here's your character. I'm like, what what a stupid liberty to take on somebody's character. But that was just like, I think it was like an assumption, like, well, they're fantasy women, so they must have washboard abs and gigantic boobs. I'm like, mm. I think that was no, of an era cool. because it uh, was definitely of an era. It was a long yeah. time. Ago. There has been a lot of shift of that with the fifth edition uh, uh, art direction, which I w- was yes. super happy about. This was yes. way before that, way before. Oh, yep. Well, I'm sorry to hear that. That's... I mean, it was still cool to see like her yeah. come to life, and she still looked badass, but. It was just like, whoa, whoa, I would never have described like that. Right, right, right. <laughs> now we need a new Tabitha art description out there. And uh, you know. we need like a quarantine Tabitha where she's just like in sweats. <laughs> she's like 15 extra pounds. She's got a 30 <laughs> ounce of wine <laughs> that she's like drinking. <laughs> okay, a, mask, a coffee mug. <laughs> a unibrow and a mask. A Maybe some mask knee where like she sweats under her it's mask like and her face tabitha. breaks out. <laughs> That sounds like everyone's fantasy character yeah, yeah. to play with. Now, there you yeah. go. So is that, go. Is that, does, does she have like a CR of 15? Don't mess with her. <laughs> awesome. Maybe a little too much reality in my fantasy. I don't know. <laughs> People, it's escapism, as we said. <laughs> Awesome. Well, thank you so much for this fun conversation, Ryan. I'm uh, definitely interested in all of the fun stuff that you've been saying with your uh, podcast as well as this board game. I want to try out. Hopefully, one day we'll be able to make it back to Columbus and uh, play this board game. Well, thank you. I I appreciate you guys having me on the show, Greg. Shelly, you guys are awesome. Thank you so much. (laughs) Awesome. What's the best uh, way? You mentioned uh, your Twitter handle, but say it again and then uh, how people can get to find out about your podcast. Yeah. So in terms of myself, you could find me on Twitter at HaphazardDM, but probably the best place to get info on us is our website at www.tavernscaverns.com. And we also have a Twitter and Instagram handle, the Taverns and Caverns on Instagram and then Twitter's just Taverns Caverns. Shout out for the www. In that and that address. Yes. <laughs> yes. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Thanks yeah, so much, Ryan. And this has been so fun. 
Thank you, guys. You guys are wonderful. Thank you. I appreciate it. It was an honor. Oh, my gosh. What a wonderful person to talk to, Ryan Cassidy. Love him. We like you. We like you a lot, Ryan. Taverns and Caverns. You should go check it out if you haven't yet. Yeah, and uh, and these demos, if you're interested in learning how to play D&D. It's yeah. just nice that there's just there, there's people out there that want to show you and I teach know. you the way. So. I need to learn the way of uh, playing digitally, too. Like, I'm, I'm doing it all okay on my own, but this, mm-hmm. the idea of doing uh, digitals learn to play is fantastic. Yep. Well, drop in. I might well, drop in. I might go incognito, put on a hat, some sunglasses. A mask, perhaps? Yes. I mean, like a yes. facial mask, like a green facial mask? Oh, was, yes. Even better. <laughs> I had on my a mask, you know, nose down. And then sunglasses and a hat. And Bart said I looked like the Invisible Man. <laughs> <laughs> Is that him trying to say you need to get a, some 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 tan? I don't know. Or just like you're just like you're just covered. Like I just do realize like nobody can nobody knows. Nobody, nobody knows. knows what's behind that mask, which is kind of good because I talk to myself a lot when I'm oh, out for a walk. Yeah. Do you find yourself overly smiling? Like I, I find oh, myself yeah. like smiling with my eyes as much as I possibly can yes. when I'm outside. Smiles. I don't think anybody I, can do it. Anybody can find, see it. Yeah, but if you're wearing sunglasses too, then forget it. Yeah. Nobody knows. Nobody you're basically knows. a made-up, invisible man Some, person. Sometimes I wave or I use my voice. Hi. Ooh. Sign language. Hi. Thumbs up. Everything's yep. good, buddy. Salute. Do some finger guns. that's right those are all good things to do I mean you know not to bring it all the way back to D&D but those are all good things to do when you're doing Zoom uh, calls and whatnot too Uh, I've really noticed that I find helpful is when players have visual cues that they're listening and engaging with what I'm saying rather than having it always be vocal it's really nice so like what kind of visual cues like what uh, do they do? Uh, nodding. Uh, uh, I mean, actually, I've been doing it when in other conversations, but like snapping or like doing like things like yes, I I get what you're saying and I like it, you know, do oh. more, but without having to interrupt with audio. You know, it's the kind of visual cues you don't normally get when you're uh, doing video conferencing, but you would get if you were in the room with someone. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, yeah, I noticed that a lot with like um, school mm. that they have like their obviously the teacher does not want. 23 kids to say, yep, I have my notebook. But when she says, does everyone have their notebook? They do like this little like hand signal. Like the they like hang 10. It, hang 10, yes. <laughs> <laughs> to show like, yep, yep. And then they have like jazz hands to show something else. Like there's, yes. It's That's kind awesome. of adorable. Yeah. It is kind of adorable. I love that. Hang 10. Hang 10. Sweet buddy tubular. Totes. Toads, my goats. So excited uh, about what's happening with Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, we mentioned on the intro, I'm sure, but Tasha's Cauldron of Everything is coming out eleven seventeen. That's very oh soon. Is that it? Oh, okay, two weeks. I just got really excited. Like, is that so next week? Many previews out there that you can read, though. It's not next week, but you can check out stuff on D and D Beyond. You can pre-order it there as well as at Roll Twenty. Um, some video, great videos with Todd Kenrick and Jeremy Crawford are going out on D&D Beyond. Uh, we also had a great preview uh, in IGN and more to come in some other fun outlets. So look for that with uh, great artwork um, yes. being dropped 
on Jeremy Crawford's Twitter profile as well, all about the subclasses uh, with great, you know, shout outs to the artists making those images uh, of those subclasses coming to life. So great stuff. Very cool. Lots and lots of fun things coming up too. So make sure you're following D and D on social That's right. media. Wizards underscore D N D on Twitter and on Instagram. There's the Facebooks as well. But really, everyone here, if you're listening, please download Dragon Plus to your phone. It's available in many different versions, including iOS and Android. And bonus, you get a short story written by Adam Lee in this. Oh. <laughs> In and this issue, uh, gosh, with I, cats playing Dungeons and Dragons, my cat, the great Zaldini, being the great one of Zaldini. them. That's weird. I feel like there's two short stories in this latest issue. There is. Who All wrote right. that other one? It's Ice Out is name. written by Dharma Fizzbottom, penned by Greg Gino. Oh, thank you so much, Our everybody. Our very own Greg is also a short story writer published in Dragon Magazine. That's right. I finally live in the dream of yep. uh, uh, describing spells <laughs> in prose and hopefully having figure people figure out what's, what D&D spell I'm talking about it's while you're doing it. It's very good. It's such a good story. You did so good. Thank you. And it's a it, mystery. I know. I've never written a mystery before, and I it was mean, tons of fun. It feels weird that you can just like jump into a mystery, but still, you did, and it's yeah. great. I I got this idea back when we were talking about um, uh, Icewind Dale back in the spring. I was like, what if we just took this idea of of, of paranoia and put it into a, a you know D and D is always about fantasy and big you know big sweeping you know destroying of the artifact so that the big bad lord can't come and you know wreak havoc but what if it's a smaller story on a smaller scale with a with a party having to go through uh some of those mystery type tropes and uh, it was really fun to kind of mash those two together and i love your main character dharma fizzbottom she's wonderful oh thank you she's yeah really, she's really great she's basically me when i elevate my voice to using expensive you know 50 cent words as much as possible <laughs> yeah it's so fun thank you so much uh, all the feedback has been wonderful but if you want to check it out download it onto your phone as i said on dragon plus this latest issue or you can get that content on dragonmag.com through any browser and read it that way so tons of great stuff definitely check out my cat yes the great Zaldini. So very cute good, good issue Good issue all around. Um, and, of course, DungeonsAndDragons.com is where you can get all of our product information, including the D&D Del Moody card game that is coming yes. out uh, in November and the Dungeon Master Screen Wilderness Edition. Yes. Yes. Lots of goodies packed in that one. So for your favorite Dungeon Master, maybe you are a Dungeon Master and you want to treat yourself. Treat but yourself. really, really... Um, Good little product there. And I do think that the Great Del Moody Dungeons and Dragons is a very delightful, like a hostess gift, like mm. a stocking stuffer, just like a, hey, just something to do for your D&D group because you're waiting for everybody if you're in person and safe. Mm-hmm. Like, I guess just playing with your household. But you know what? We need more games. We need more things to entertain ourselves. And this is a perfect family-friendly game. So definitely check that out. And the art, oh, it's so beautiful. The art alone just makes me, my heart sing. 
Actually, yes. Oh. The the cover of this issue of, of Dragon Plus that we keep talking about what is um, a piece done by the great Del Moody D&D um, artist, Harry Conway. Oh, nice. What's, what's his name again? Harry Conway. Harry Conway. That's great. Yes. Awesome. Well, I think that's all of our stuff. Uh, you know, Dragon Talk is, of course, produced by Ryan Marth and Lisa Carr. Shout out to all of them for putting together Yay! all of this amazingness. Yay! Uh, thank you to Pelham Green and Sean Mayofsky on the Wizards of the Coast side. And thank you to all of you listening during this crazy time. <laughs> When there's uh, so much going on, I've seen a bunch of Twitter messages of people who uh, like listening to us when uh, they need a distraction, and we are very happy to provide that for you, and we'll continue to do so yes. uh, as much as we can. We like to record this as a distraction. It's true. <laughs> oh, we can we can help each other out. By listening in and spread the word, give some reviews. We're on a whole bunch of platforms uh, and would love to get Dragon Talk on more people's phones uh, so that they can be distracted from doom scrolling as much as possible. <laughs> and I'm doom. I was just, I just saw that tweet. And doom gonna... scrolling. <laughs> oh, man. Well, I love a good parody. This <laughs> is what we're in for is nonstop parody forever and ever. Amen. Let's, speaking of a, a long search for something Non-stop. that's important, uh, let's, let's go in and check in what's happening with Drunky Two-Shoes, shall we? Let's do it. So, Drunky, you are traveling on a boat. You made a friend. With my man. With your man, uh, the very, <laughs> very buff uh, sailor who tossed his previous boss off this boat uh, and yep. he's excited to uh, travel, uh, try to catch up with the other boat that was f- sailing north towards Waterdeep. Yes, we're on our way. We're on your way. Um, hmm. The really sailor looks at you uh, and says, well, all right, well, we're going this way. Where did you say the boat went? That way. Okay. To Waterdeep. Towards Waterdeep. Do you know how to get to Waterdeep? Yes, yes, of course. How, and how fast can this boat go? Um... It depends on the wind, uh, but it looks like we've okay. got something going. And he actually, you know, kind of looks up and and estimates. Uh, well, we can we can go as pretty fast, but I don't know how fast the boat that or the ship that you're we're pursuing is. I think my brother's on that boat. Your brother, and I think he's in trouble. Another tabaxi. Yes. Wow. My litter. You mean I could actually meet two tabaxis in one day? Yes, if you play your cards right. Well, as I know from being a sailor on the dock ward of Waterdeep, the only way to win at cards is to cheat. That's the right way. Do you have any way to uh, create wind? Do you have any beads? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there's a barrel of beans uh, in the hold. Then yes, I do. <laughs> <laughs> he looks at you, uh, and I'm gonna make a. Uh, why don't you make me a persuasion check and see how well this comes off? 
15. 15. Uh, so yes, your sailor looks at you kind of quizzically uh, and doesn't really connect it all together until he's like, oh. <laughs> uh, he laughs uproariously uh, and he kind of slaps you on the back uh, in, a, in oh. a very kind, you know, well-mannered way. And be like, that is the funniest thing I've heard from a lady in six months. Oh, Drunky is a little upset that she's probably not going to get any of those beads. <laughs> yeah, I, well, I, I do in fact have some beads if you would like them. I thought that was... Uh, yes, please. Uh, so he, uh, he says, all right, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll, go, I'll go get the, bar- the barrel. <laughs> I think we should end it here. End it here and we'll pick up what's happening with uh, the sailor feeding. <laughs> Maybe he's getting okay. Next time, I'll I'll bring Quinn's whoopee cushion. So so we have we some sound really, effects. We can larp it up. Awesome. All right, you're on your way. And actually, as that's all happening uh, on the horizon, you can see a sail. Oh, it is about. Um, you know, it's really hard to estimate, but the sailor says, "Well, maybe with good wind, <laughs> uh, we might be able to catch up." Good wind is my nickname. <laughs> <laughs> Drunky Goodwind Two-Shoes? Yeah. Well, it's nice to meet you. My name is Barnabas. Thank you, Barnabas. You're my hero. (laughs) Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. It's starting. (laughs) starting. Angle your rear end towards the sail. (laughs) It's the only way. (laughs) Uh, This is for you, (laughs) Daryl. <laughs> uh, is this sorcerer drunky? Yes. All right, you cast gust of wind out of your yes. bum. Out of my butt. Excellent. <laughs> That's what it sounds. Like. Well, this has been the oh. most uh, professional D and D game ever. So, another potty award-winning <laughs> episode. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, This is for the beans reference. (laughs) Oh, my God. Thank you all. We'll be back next week.